Okay, hello again, everybody. What's up, chat? Check it out. Yeah, this this is one where you need like get a get a get a get a nice drink, get some coffee, mm-hmm. get some tea, mm-hmm. get a Red Bull. Put us because... on the, um, one and a half times speed or two x speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just do you know do your laundry, do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Play this while you're like cooking dinner mm-hmm. uh, and like doing your meal prep or whatever, because <laughs> mm-hmm. this is gonna be a long one. Uh, so we're diving in and we're gonna go over our top 100 films list. So this is our list for this year of 2020. How we feel this year. This isn't like a definitive. If we were gonna die tomorrow, this is it. List. Yeah, you can't really do that, right? It's it's every every list. Uh, like for example, you you brought this up to me like probably I don't know a couple weeks ago. So like the list is literally as of October and November of 2020. These are the movies that I think are my definitive top 100 movies that I you know lock me in a basement with these 100 movies and or or rather put it in a time capsule and then like algorithmically scan these 100 movies and it creates a profile of me. Like, that's the way I think of it. But that's only as of 2020, right? Because in 10 years, our lists are going to be totally different and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So totally different has to do with what we've seen to this point. There's there's even great films that I've seen this year that haven't made this list, mm-hmm. but could maybe make a future list or even an extended list if we went and to And there's a lot of more. movies. There's a lot of movies that, like, I'm, I'm for me at least, like, that I haven't seen yet that I know that are some of the classics or some of the greats that could very well make their way into this list, but... I haven't seen them yet. So, you know, there's also that. Yeah. So this is just kind of for fun where we're at and right now. And it's just a, an excuse to talk about a bunch of cool different films. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it, I feel like it's also like a stress test. It makes you think, okay, what were the films that I really like a lot? What are the things that I keep going back to that really have an impact on me for whatever reason? What are those films? And I just love doing that because I love talking about the films that are really great, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you like talking about the films that are really great. I like talking about the films that are really shit, but yeah. influence me stylistically in one way or another. Yeah, I mean, greatness greatness takes many forms. I mean, you know, sometimes Listen. you gotta have filet mignon, and sometimes you gotta have McDonald's, right? Sometimes you gotta have mac and cheese because yeah. here, like for me, my list is primarily mac and cheese. But oh, baby, do I love me some mac and cheese? You know? Yeah, mac and cheese is delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't complain about that. So yeah, why don't we get started? So what is your 100th film. Jesus Christ. Uh, number 100 uh, is a movie that I'm sure no one's heard of. Uh, for good reason, though. Uh, I believe it was trying to be a movie at some point. Uh, the movie's called Grilled from 2006. Uh, and if you've heard of it, you've probably seen it on Comedy Central or something. I think I rented it from like a Hollywood video or something. Uh, it's a shitty kind of low-budget uh crime comedy thing from 2006 directed by jason ensler who does a lot of tv this is his only movie that he's ever directed uh and it stars ray romano and kevin james uh yeah and sofia vergara's in it and burt reynolds and like just a bunch of wacko it's like a wacky cast but basically so ray romano and kevin james are uh meat salesmen like the wholesale like butcher's meat and they go around L.A. and you know, like if you've watched any of our stuff, specifically any of the David Ayer stuff we reviewed, you know I love L.A. movies. I don't care how <laughs> shitty it is. You put two guys in L.A. and they're out there doing some stuff and they get in trouble and something wacky happens, I'm there for it. So yeah, these guys are just meat salesmen and then obviously they get involved with the mob and Sofia Vergara plays this like 
mobster's wife and they get involved with her and like she ends up killing her husband and now like the mob is after them the police is after them but they're just a bunch of schmucks and they're a bunch of meat salesmen and uh, ultimately the the top head of the mob boss or whatever is uh burt reynolds and the way that they resolve the conflict if i remember correctly is that um he just really likes their meat <laughs> it's, it's a profoundly profoundly dumb movie but i don't know it's got like um like what the hell does it, this movie have like belong on the top 100 list? I think when I at the time that I saw it, it uh, I, I really liked it because I saw it over and over again. And again, I just I like it was right somewhere like right after I moved to, to America. So like oh. all of the kind of like because the way that like culture imprinted itself on me was like American culture. I know it by way of movies, right? Yeah, and yeah. this is this was made in 2006, so this is just very much like aping, you know, all of the Scorsese stuff from the 90s and all of the Soprano stuff that was hot at the time. And it is just like a modern version of like a crappy, you know, uh, buddy type crime movie. Uh, and, and these guys, except they're meat salesmen, and I really happened to like Ray Romano at the time, right? Uh, so yeah, it's just a fun, dumb little. Um, I like. It's like a. It's got like Shane Black vibes. You know, I really yeah, like yeah. those Shane Black movies where it's just like two guys that just get in way over their head and just crazy stuff ensues. It's like a really, 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 really low rent version of that. Um, but I like this cast. I like these guys. I like the fact it's like it's a very bright movie. Like it's very saturated. The colors that that's like the one thing I remember about it is that it's super, super saturated. Um, and I like that. And that was one of those things stylistically that really stuck with me. But yeah, not a great movie. Wouldn't recommend it. For like a lot of reasons, but uh, for me, it's just one of those movies that like kind of defines who I am. It's just the way that uh, the way that I like to the prism through which I like to view this genre is, you know, two goofballs and a crime boss somewhere and lots of cocaine and maybe some titties. So that's <laughs> that's the movie. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that personal connection because it's like, yeah, there's a nostalgia factor, right? It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I came to America and I saw this movie. And I rented it and had that experience. And then it's so that's that really solidifies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah, because it's like you can have the theatrical experience with a lot of these great other movies. But it, I feel like it's the the mid tier to like shit movies that you you happen upon and you like remember them for some reason. And that's why this made the list. Yeah, for sure. There there. I, I actually have a list of films that I call films that were in my head for some reason that I, mm. I I've seen them like on television, like you flip and then you see it for a second and you're like halfway through. You just watch it, but it's not good, but you just still watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely I, I know that feeling, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds of films that stick to you for whatever reason. Which yeah. Is awesome. So it, it just <laughs> barely slid in there. Number 100. Well, that's good. Cool. Like, that's that's interesting. That's a really cool film. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, <laughs> I'll like, let me look it up on IMDb. Look it up, man. <laughs> watch the trailer and you'll you'll facepalm. But like it's, it's <laughs> concept, you know? Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, for, for me, so my number 100 film, uh, so this one was like kind of floating around, but I felt like I wanted to add it for a specific reason. Uh, has one of the great movie titles of all time. So it's uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what great. a title. Wow. Oh. Man, you are, you are starting with the heavy hitters, man. You're yeah. starting with like good movies. Yeah. yeah. So this is... This is like the written and directed by Andrew Dominic, um, and it stars um, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck and some other really good actors are in it too. So like Sam Rockwell's in it, Jeremy Renner's in it, Sam Shepard, Paul Schneider, they're all yeah. great. And it's yeah. just like this very meditative, very thoughtful character piece, 
But what makes, to me, what makes this film incredible is the fact that Roger Deakins is a cinematographer mm. and he did some of his absolute best work of all time in this mm -hmm. film, which is saying a lot because he is an incredible cinematographer. Um, there, this was probably the first film for me where I, I, I couldn't say what I, I liked about it, but there was something different about the way it was shot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then I was like, didn't understand the process of how films are made enough okay. to understand that someone like Roger Deakins is the reason why all mm -hmm. these images are so vivid and powerful and different from other films, because this film, like they, they he does things in a way where it looks like it was shot at the time with mm -hmm. cameras of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they do all these deliberate things to sort of make it obscure and interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, there's some of the best sequences, I think, in terms of cinematography ever. Like when the train arrives and they go to mm -hmm. to to rob them, it's unbelievable. Like the way that they shoot the train and then you see it coming and then there's all the smoke coming out. The lights yeah. moving. Yeah. It's, yeah. And then like Brad Pitt's like waiting for it to arrive and then he turns around. You see a silhouette and he's holding a lantern. So unbelievable criminally underrated film yeah unbelievable and yeah. yeah i i mean i think i think it's just there's so many amazing things the cinematography is great the direction is really strong the acting is unbelievable brad pitt's amazing in this and yeah. well this is one of those movies that he wanted to do right yeah this is yeah. during that era of like slightly right after you know his big big like troy mr and mrs smith that era he starts to just say I'm I'm Brad Pitt and I sometimes I want to make, you know, really cool like not necessarily art films but like along those lines. Uh he did he did Babel at the time. He did mm -hmm. uh, you know just like out of the box, you know, for like an A-lister like I wouldn't see Tom Cruise past Magnolia doing something like this or like a Vanilla Sky or some shit like that. But yeah, it's really really cool. And I think he has a good relationship with uh, Andrew Dominic cuz they did a couple movies together. Yeah, they did a couple movies together. Yeah. 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 I think the other thing too is like like you were talk talking about around that time so he had the divorce and ironically, he got the production company that the, the two of them started together in the divorce. Oh. And so this was like, you know, sort of what came out of it, which is, I guess, wow. good for us film people. Yeah. <laughs> is that wow. instead of some romantic comedies, we get Ad Astra and... <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and, and uh, the assassination of Jesse James. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I absolutely love this film. And I loved it, like... The minute I saw it, my I don't know how however old I was, you know, twenty it's year a, old or whatever self, it just eighteen year old self. It was just like this film is different. I don't know why, but it looks different. It's shot different, mm -hmm. and it's a very slow pace, slow burn. But the it's so methodical, and it just yeah. it just draws you into the world, draws yeah. you in. I know. I love. I fucking love slow burn movies, and I always have. Even like I, I didn't. I never went through a phase where I was just like, ah, I just want to watch. You know, grilled all the time. Like I always, I've always enjoyed the slow burn movie, and I think this movie gets a bad rap. But you brought up two good things. Um, two things that I wanted to touch on is that one. I don't know about you, your process for like selecting these things, but the way that I've been watching movies, uh, kind of. These things are related. So like you said in 2007 when you saw this or whatever, you didn't know kind of the mechanics of how films are made or cinematography or the process or whatever. Uh, and then at some point, we became film nerds and now we do. But a lot of our lists are going to be from that before period, right? Um, and so the way that 
I look at movies now as I go through like entire filmographies, right? When I watch movies. So there's going to be a lot of repeats of like the same personnel kind of. And uh, I know you like Roger Deakins. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of Roger Deakins coming up for that reason. So that's an interesting, <laughs> that's like an interesting asterisk to put, to put on the list. Cause like, it totally depends on how you like ingest these movies, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, the stuff with Deakins, it was like <clears throat> probably, I don't even know when, but probably later where it's like, you just realize there's like, 10 films that he shot that I think are amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, the entire Coen brothers, every film they've done that's good, other than like probably Blood Simple, he shot, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, he's had a humongous impact on film in this era. Of course, and, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And it's it's just, um, when it's something you realize, then you understand, like there's, you know, the cinematographer is such a important part of a film. Um, I just think of like, I think it was, was it Ernest Lubitsch and like, mm -hmm. uh, who's the, the guy who shot like the matrix, um, Bill Pope. Yeah. Bill Pope. Like these guys, like they, they, they put in the best, the best work. Yeah, dude. Oh, I'm and, so glad you brought up Bill Pope. I love his work. Yeah. 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 And they're so important. They're so important in making the film. Good. Uh, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like, uh, a Hoyt of an Uh, mm -hmm. this guy mm -hmm. now shoots, it seems like basically shoots all of Christopher Nolan's films mm -hmm. and at Astra and other stuff like this guy, like these guys are great. And he's like someone 10 years ago, he wasn't like an A-list guy and now he is. And yeah, you um, can see the work he put in is like, it's unbelievable what these people are able to do. <clears throat> I forgot. What's this guy's name? Um, there's a cinematographer coming up. It's kind of unrelated. Yeah. He started shooting like, so basically, when I was in college a couple of years ago, my I we had a professor that came from England who was a practicing cinematographer, and he just like taught. Basically, he decided to teach at San Francisco State, and he brought up uh, like another a fellow Brit uh, cinematographer that he's worked with, Lowell Crowley. And I was like, that's a weird name. And then uh, <laughs> we we studied him, and we watched some of his really early films, some of the indie features that he that he uh, shot. Now he's an A list guy. So some of these guys, like he shot um, that Natalie Portman movie with Jude Law with she's like a dancer or whatever recently. Uh, he shot for Black Mirror and like a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, out of out of nowhere, seemingly some of these like really artistic cinematographers, they just like, I don't know, there's some they just pop yeah. up and yeah. Yeah, they blow up. They like it with the right director, the mm -hmm. list director, and then <clears throat> it's like, yeah. you know. So it's, it's not like... Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying Roger Deakins happens overnight, but like a lot, there's a lot of talented cinematographers and a lot of talented people working in film yeah. that just don't. They just need yeah, to get absolutely. that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, because even Deakins' career, if you look at his career, I would say the first like 15 years or so, he's not the person that we think of now. Um, it's oh, yeah. really like once he started working with the Coen Brothers, mm -hmm. that's when his profile. He also shot the the movie 1984. That was another really good film that he shot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he like, once he started working with them, I think his, his profile transformed, um, to the point where now he's, he's synonymous as the best in the world. Right. Yeah. 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 But even, even like, even before that, he still, he still did really good work. I think you just gotta get the right. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. These guys always do good work. It's yeah. just a matter of like boosting it's, that profile. Yeah. It's, it's like getting more. the right, it's getting the right combination of like the right director the right budget the right exactly you know um i i i remember there was this one coen brothers film he did it was like a they did like a film noir mm -hmm. and there's a couple of shots that he did in there that are just like it's yeah. crazy i mean it's <laughs> like unbelievable what they did and it's you know it's it's like roger deakins doing a black and white photography film 
right mm -hmm. which is something that's very rare so it's like yeah so cool mm -hmm. um, yeah anyway so that's <laughs> that was my number, number 100 and our spiel on dps and uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roger well very very artistic uh start to your list yeah, yeah. yeah. uh you, cool. you ready for me to just bring him back down to earth <laughs> Sure. Yeah. What's your number ninety nine? Let's let's. I'm excited because it's gonna be something I probably don't know. So I'm really no. Sure. You know it. You know it. You know it. I put this at ninety nine because, and I love this movie, but simply because I cannot in my head rationalize it being over any other night. I haven't even picked the other ninety nine. I just cannot put it over anything else, and that is the Hangover. Yeah, <laughs> I love the Hangover. It's a great movie. Uh, great movie. I love it. Uh, <laughs> very good. Very funny. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Everybody's seen The Hangover, but yeah. it did something, I think, at the time, right, in 2007 when it came out, or was it 2009? Uh, it was like R-rated comedies were kind of coming back, like Judd Apatow movies were being made, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up, things like that. But The Hangover, again, kind of like the last movie on my list, it just injects a little bit of that, like, adventure and, like, shenanigans into the proceedings yeah. that I really, really like. I really, uh, in the co the colloquial term is, I fuck with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, it's like, you can, because you can have jokes, and you can have movies that are just really well-written jokes, you know, you can have your clerks, and you can have your, or just, like, situational things, mm -hmm. but The Hangover is, it's kind of like an adventure film, in a way, uh, just with a bunch of dumbasses as the lead characters, and I love dumbasses as lead characters. Um, but yeah, it just tapped into the culture at the time you know that like to to it was still like it was almost 2010s but it was still like 2000s like toilet humor and like mike tyson's in it mike with tyson, a tiger oh and God. yeah it, it, you know they it's just yeah it's just a fun like if there's mystery in it i don't know i feel like i don't need to really justify the hangover but uh it's the kind of comedy that i really like more so than like some of the more in, not intellectual ones but some of the ones that are like trying to be something more the hangover is just trying to be a fun movie mm -hmm. uh and it's again todd phillips uh from the guy who brought you at the time what starsky and hutch in like old school uh <laughs> so like some hollywood studio experience uh but i think he really broke through with this one i think this is the one where like because yeah. you could have the hangover could be a comedy central like original movie or some shit but it, it feels like really cinematic it's shot in like widescreen it looks really good uh shot on film obviously uh so yeah i don't know it's just it's a weird mix of just like degenerate like uh teenage humor and like uh good filmmaking i don't know i like the hangover <laughs> yeah it is it's well written and it's fun and mm -hmm. the other thing too is like uh what's brandon cooper's in this film right and he oh, yeah. i feel like this is like the first time where he really became likable i think so yeah yeah before then he was what he was in what was the 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 one, the other comedy he was in where he was the bad guy. Uh, it was oh, like Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. Yeah, he yeah, was in Wedding Crashers and he was that. the bad guy. He's just, he just like, he's almost a little too good looking to be good. Yeah. On a certain level where you're like, okay, like F this guy. He's, he's way too good. And I feel mm -hmm. like that was him in that movie. But here he's like, but he's he, actually likable. He's very likable and like him, like him being the good looking guy, like you, you think of the hangover and you think of Bradley Cooper with those aviators, you know, and yeah, just like with yeah. his, uh, with his popped collar and like fucking chest uh -huh. hair, like yeah. he does kind of, there's an element of that, like really cool movie star thing going on here, even there though is. he's, he's kind of not at the time. Like it's clearly like these guys are posing as movie stars and that's what they want to be in their heads. Like, I think it all, yeah. it all like serves the, the, the theme of the, the movie where they're just a bunch of idiots. Yeah, totally. Uh, and also and this, it's, you know, three men and a baby. Yeah. And this is like the, 
the I, maybe the height of Zach Galifianakis, right? Yeah. I've <laughs> uh, delete. You can I you can remove him from the movie. I think the movie's better. Yeah. I mean, he this was like his thing. I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, but yeah, I feel like that was like. Oh, I think he. I think yeah. he like. I think he's like trying to be like a normal actor, right? Or like an artist in a way. Uh, but he just happened to land in these like dumb ass roles. Yeah, dumb. But he plays dumb well. He does. He does. Yeah. He, he, it's gets weird and funny. But yeah, um, no, but you're right though. Like for the context of the time, like Galifianakis and just like that kind of, I don't know, high strung goofball thing, like it, it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and I didn't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that movie was huge. That movie was absolutely huge when it came it out. It works. I think, yeah. In a, in a vacuum, if you just, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the other hundred Galifianakis movies from the 2010s, like in a vacuum, I think this is perfect the way that, you know, yeah. he's in it. This yeah. is like enough for you not to like, <laughs> not to pull your hair out, yeah. yeah. And like, no, I'm yeah, done with yeah, this. Yeah. Like, like yeah. this will be like, okay, yeah, I can take this. This one, just this one, yeah. Just this one, I'll take it, and it's fun, yeah. And also, no. I mean, I have, I can't to to do the personal connection, and I can't tell you how many times I've like had drinks with friends and watched this movie over oh, and yeah, over again. Yeah. So yeah. This is, that's this why is it makes fun. the list. Yeah. yeah, this is a super fun one. All right, cool. So for me, my number ninety nine. It's the first Stanley Kubrick film to make my list. Jesus Christ, you save yeah. some for the for the rest of us. There's the 98 other movies. I know, yeah. So this one, I'm I'm uh, going with Pass the Glory. So okay. this is uh like basically it's a World War One anti-war film, uh, starring Kirk Douglas. Um, and it's sort of like the plot's like some some people they're they're told to go out on a on a raid in a trench. So they're in a trench and they have to go on a raid, but they don't want to do it. And so some people, they kind of, they, they basically get court-martialed for cowardice and they're going to get executed. And uh, Kirk Douglas is trying to defend them. Unfortunately, you know, as in uh, a lot of some of maybe the other Kubrick films, the end isn't that uplifting. But the the ed, the ending ending we get is actually kind of uh, one of the more emotional moments in any Kubrick film, I'd say. To actually. be fair, one of the main reasons I like Kubrick is the, not nihilistic, but the pessimistic endings. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, like that, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He has a very kind of cold and calculating mm -hmm. view of which is, you know, I mean, very legitimate and accurate, I think. Mm -hmm. um, one of one of my favorite things someone was talking about, like, you know, the that jump cut in 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. But another powerful thing about it is that it's it summarizes millions of years as being basically irrelevant. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's all mm -hmm. this evolutionary stuff that happened leading up to human beings being able to get to this monolith on the moon and everyone mm -hmm. else who's ever lived or died or existed. Their existence is maybe the result of this, these things that have happened. But do they totally matter? It seems like yeah. what matters is, is human beings finding whatever this thing that's sending us a message is. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and the, again, this is another one where it's like they're fighting this war and. I mean, do, does their life or death really matter in the grand scheme of how this war is going to play out? Mm -hmm. Probably and not. It's, but and it's World War One. It's like the yeah. most pessimistic war, yes. <laughs> like probably ever. <laughs> like nobody really like won that one, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The there was just a resolution which then led to an armistice for. 20 years and then we fought again yeah exactly um yeah it's it's a very it's a it's very just like a really shit situation <laughs> yeah i mean also like again he does a great job of depicting it people having you know uh people shocked from the war what we would call ptsd mm -hmm. they call it shell shock 
Yeah. Um, the trenches are disgusting and there's rats and shit and people are just dying. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's horrible. It's it's horrible. It is absolutely horrible. But mm-hmm. it is an accurate depiction of what it was like. And I think um, I've, I've always thought this movie was very, very much ahead of its time. Because, like, I, I, I see – I have it back there, actually – uh, I haven't watched it in a minute, but like I saw a lot of people rediscovering this movie uh, last year when 1917 was being talked about. Yeah. Like, how many? There's there's an infinite number of World War II movies and video games and books and whatever, but there's not that much in the movies in particular, like big studio movies, uh, being made about World War One. So uh, at least that I can think of off the top of my head, like not in the kind of same vein as like a Saving Private Ryan or something. So this being made in the 50s is like, and the 50s was like a this according to the history books you know a jolly good time and all the teenagers <laughs> yeah. were fucking in their uh, in their drop tops driving around and everything was great and then here comes this like depressing ass movie from this british yeah guy. yeah yeah well he's from brooklyn but he moves it oh sure sure sure, sure. Yeah, yeah 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 i yeah anyway uh but yeah so i i would yeah i i think the the other big probably the other biggest world war one movie was uh, all quiet on the western front that was probably mm-hmm. like I'd say the biggest one. Again, another depressing film, right? Yeah, very yeah, yeah. like sad ending to that one too. Um, yeah, I just I think that there because the twenties approaches were like very different, right? For sure. I mean that that's that's like a story about soldiers, a guy fighting the war and becoming sort of I guess you could say um, he he went into the war rah rah and then he got there and he was like. Oh no! Yeah, he was like, "This is beyond horrible." Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that's sort of the thematic thing of that film. It's like the lie, right? The lie of of what mm-hmm. war is. And this is this is sort of a similar vein, but it's like what we do to each other in a war. Like even people on their own side. Like this is people on their side killing them. It injects a psychological element to it. I think that's what I was trying to maybe get at. Is that a lot Kubrick did that a lot more, I think, than a lot of other contemporary, like of his contemporaries. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not across the board, but like he's always injecting the psychology into stuff, you know, uh, like with the shell shock and everything. And I, I really, I dig that. Yeah, for sure, it, it's great. And again, there's a lot of like the the classic Kubrick stuff. The framing and composition is like amazing oh, a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, there's all these great camera movements, like when we're there in the trench, and there's like tracking shots. Um, they're all like all standing in line waiting to, I don't know, be executed or whatever. And then there's like a tracking shot. There's just, you know, a lot of the things that we come to love Kubrick about are in this film. And it's, mm-hmm. it's great. I think it's really good. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's my number nine. 99. Oh, what a great, what a great, cool. what a great movie. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Um, yeah, I'm glad to hear people are rediscovering it because it's, it's really good. It's really good. Again. Yeah. Like uh, other than like the, uh, maybe two or three big ones like world war one movies not not that plentiful in my in my yeah i i think what happened is like the 20s was so like in hollywood it was so happy happy and then because there was just so much money and they were like bringing in people from europe and then the 30s the depression happened and so people just want to see comedies and musicals and all this yeah, other yeah, yeah. fanfare and then yeah. world war ii happened and so then it's the moment like- was over but like even since, like World War Two is uh, granted it came later, but like it was talked about so many. And there's so many movies made in the '60s about World War Two and and stuff like that, all the way through the '90s and fucking Band of Brothers comes out and all that yeah. stuff. And there's just not that much talked about World War One. And I think this is a good entry point. Yeah, I, I suspect too that we also don't have as much. Unfortunately, this is sort of like just a historical. It's a thing. European thing, more mostly. Yeah, it's it's a European thing, and like we probably have less cultural stuff. 
like over time, there's more knowledge created and passed down of something. Mm -hmm. So because it was it was in 1918, there's probably less books and media and journalism and knowledge about so that because we they could, all died so, they all died or they just <laughs> or they, didn't record anything and, and then know. they got hit with the spanish flu right after yeah. The, yeah yeah they got hit with the flu and then everyone's yeah. dead and it's like well that was shit yeah well yeah. you want to know world war one it sucked and then everyone it, died sure. then we got hit by tanks and then the americans came and it was over sure 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 yeah <laughs> not a whole lot of reasons to romanticize it yeah i think that's the thing too like world war ii there's such a there, there's such we've created in our minds collectively as a planet that this was like the conflict of the human race. And not only that, it has a very clear cut winners and losers, you know, and good versus evil, too. I would exactly, say good yeah. versus evil. The Japanese yeah. and the Germans were evil. The Americans and their allies were good. Mm -hmm. That's how we view it. Um, which isn't to say that we don't think that the Germans or whoever the hell in World War One were good. It's just that. We see them fight, and then they we don't resolve it in a good, positive way. Mm -hmm. At the end, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. The Germans lose; they get this thing thrust upon them. They they it's elect Hitler. Yeah, yeah, they elect They've... Hitler, and then we get another giant war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at least you know when you think about like World War Two, uh, we had a Cold War, but we never had a war like World War Two again. Oh God, no. that was, exactly. I that hope was we it. never fucking do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was it. That so it feels like there's a resolution point. It's like this was the end of it, and so it at least in terms of a narrative, you can say, you know, in the Saving Private Ryan thing, it's like the guy at the end he dies so that he can create peace. Yeah, it's you know, it's the, the end of the these, whole uh, earn it thing, right? You know, yeah. Like why he said earn it when he died is like you got to earn this peace that I'm dying to give or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, but you're, you're right though. I didn't like it's it's like the it signifies the end of like these like. Uh, primitive uh, monkeys uh, basically hitting each other with sticks you know that's kind of what going out and sending hundreds of thousands of people millions of people to fucking shoot lead at each other right yeah uh, it's like a very primitive thing when you think about it uh, now you know all the wars are in their cyberspace and all that shit but yeah i, I think that's a it's a good it, it story wise you would like to bookmark world war ii and say yeah it was that was that <laughs> yeah i i think that's a lot of it too is like world war one seems to 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 play into these sort of, you know, even 1917, what's the resolution at the end of that film? Like the guy stops this battle, but the, <laughs> the Cumberbatch character even says, tomorrow they'll tell us to, to fight again mm -hmm. instead. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he, he's, he's doing all this work to stop this one thing. But did it maybe, really matter in the end? Maybe I just like pessimistic and nihilistic yeah. ending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, tragedies or these type of, sort of downer endings they're definitely good but i think they're harder for them to get sold and made is unfortunate but they have just as much artistic merit right i mean passive glory of course. oh it's an Jesus. incredible film yeah it's an incredible film and it's almost kind of sucks that we're sort of deprived of more works because you know people are like oh that's sad i don't like it yeah and and of course you know everything with movies it's a market so it's just like when is a good time to put this out versus like a world yeah. war ii documentary <laughs> like there I mean, was the, a moment there was a moment like peter jackson did his thing right where he recolored yeah. some world war one footage yeah like, that was, was a, a moment, great yeah. doc that was yeah. a great documentary mm -hmm. um now i was gonna say the russians they they are the king of Ooh, yeah. the depressing war movie holy shit. shit yeah they they're like no we're gonna go more depressing you think you're you think you think they <laughs> think ballad of a soldier is depressing wait until you see come and see like oh <laughs> 
We'll try you to press it. <laughs> I, it's great. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I completely forgot. I, I tend to suppress that like Russian, ru- like the Russians, quote unquote, exist. But like, oh my God, like that is that it's just their entire personality and culture is just fucking it, it is depressing. And yeah, I saw I saw another one this year. I forget. It was like the ascent. Mm. Oh my God. So depressing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was so well shot. And it's just like, but it's like they have, and they're all masterpieces. They have like 10 World War II movies that are depressing, depressing, mm-hmm. one more depressing than the next. And and they, they're like, yeah, this is life. It's it's bad. Then you die. And then your 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 parents get killed. And then your son gets killed. And then your son, son, son is fighting the war. And then he gets killed. And then he's living in shit and sucks. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Russia. You know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> You get three potatoes a week and you make stuff yeah, out of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then the Germans come and then. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, that was my number 99. So what's your number 98? I like this juxtaposition of like uh, you bring up the movies with like uh, big ideas and uh, we, we, we ruminate on them for a while. And then I'm just like, so let me tell you about this drug movie I saw in 2001. Uh, so my number 98 is Formula 51. Oh, yeah. hell yeah, dude. You, you know this movie? Yeah, this is the one where Sam Jackson was a killer, right? Yeah, well, yeah. yes, yeah. He was a killer, and the Robert Carlyle plays a chemist who basically comes up with this, like, crazy new designer drug. Uh, and I feel like designer drugs were, were very, very much in in the right at the like late 90s early 2000s because uh like ecstasy just like started popping up in all this media and stuff and so this guy is basically engineering the next uh ecstasy and uh, once again it's uh i i think i'm starting to sense a pattern here it's just two guys you know out against the world or whatever i don't remember exactly what the plot is because i haven't seen this movie in a while but the personal connection is that i did see it right around the time it came out i think i saw it on vhs or something uh we rented it from the hollywood video but in Romania, yeah, we had we had one mall. There was one mall in all, the entire uh, Bucharest in the in the capital city, and in that mall there was one Hollywood video, the only one in the entire country at the time. And uh, Formula Fifty One is just one of those movies I picked up. And uh, again, it's just it's I think it's directed by Ronnie Yu. I, I'm not really familiar with his work, but it's I think it's. Uh, I, I might need to do some research. It might be like a British film, like production-wise, funding-wise. Uh, and it's got a lot of that uh, really kind of like edgy, uh, in um, like hyper kind of uh, British, like a Guy Ritchie type of a vibe to it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of I, like the train spotting kind of stuff? Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, without trying to prove a point or make a message or whatever, it's just Samuel Jackson, you know, like escorting this guy and protecting him from drug dealers or whatever. Uh so yeah, I I again I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember the impression it left on me. How again, how hyper it was, just how just everything like the drug effects and just how like it's go go go. And Samuel Jackson's great in this fucking mm-hmm. movie. I mean, he's just he's just hamming it up. Like he always hams it up, kind of. But I feel like this is towards the beginning of that where he's just like, I got all my important stuff out of the way, and I'm gonna start doing all these like crappy B kind of tier movies. Um, yeah, and it's. Uh, I think it takes place in the UK is probably why I remember it, and that's probably why I remember it being bigger than it was because in Europe, uh, the proxy to the West and all of that culture was the UK, uh, or particularly in Eastern Europe where I grew up. So, like, 
if we couldn't get the stuff from the US, the stuff from the UK was just as good. And you know, like yeah. you wanted the track suits and all of the shit from the UK. Uh, so this yeah. is one of those movies. Uh, I think I reviewed very poorly, but it's a very fun movie. I actually recommend going back and, and checking this one out. Uh, it's just another one of those uh, whimsical kind of adventure type movies that just happens to be about, you know, drugs and killers. Uh, and I, I think there's this great, there's a scene in like a club where uh, one of the characters d- just does like an, a hilarious amount of cocaine. <laughs> there's like a shootout that ensues. It's just a great, it's just like a dumb movie. But yeah. again, it makes the, it makes the list again for that kind of personal connection. And stylistically, I like a lot of these genre movies, a lot of these uh, crime, obviously crime is kind of like an undertone to like every movie that I like. Uh, but I just like that kind of gritty, uh, really kind of almost juvenile in a way, uh, action and, and humor, because there's a lot of really shitty humor in this movie, too. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's, it's Samuel Jackson saying motherfucker and shooting people. So, yeah, um, that's in my DNA in some way. So. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the fact that Sam Jackson does stuff like this and Black Snake Moan and mm, and right. um, what's the other the the Deep Blue Sea, the fact that he does this stuff, that's what makes him like. I feel like when it's all said and done, he'll be the basically the greatest actor ever. If you really, Probably. if you just take it by the fact, I I, saw, I heard this, I forget who I heard it from, but uh, Letterbox they do this thing where they they come up with a list of like pretty much the most popular actors. So what they do is they look at what are the movies that are rated the most rated movies and who are the biggest actors in those movies. And they said pretty much every single year they've done that list, Samuel L. Jackson was the number one person. Mm-hmm. So it just shows that he, across every demographic of people that watch movies, there's something that someone in some demographic has seen him in that they That's like. True. That's true. And isn't isn't it? Wasn't there a statistic where he is the number one like box office actor of all time just because he's in so many things, right? He is. Yeah. Well, if you just think of it, he's in all the Marvel movies. He was in Jurassic Park. He was in. Oh know, yeah. Oh Jesus. Christ, all the yeah. Die, Die Hard three. He's been in just like mm-hmm. everything. He's been in everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I uh, finally did my list, when I cataloged every single Blu-ray that I own, uh, there's a way. Uh, I have so I have like about eighteen hundred movies or whatever. There's a way to kind of uh, sort by directors actors whatever like who is featured in like the most in all of these things and how many are they in and there's like this really great tool on blu-ray.com for that um samuel jackson i think is by far like the number one uh actor on in my collection just because he's in so many things like i didn't seek out you know i want to buy every samuel jackson movie it just so happened that he just happens to be in every movie you know yeah and he it's because he says yes a lot he's he's like you know i i I feel like uh what's his name nicholas cage the same way you pay me x i will show up if i have time true but Uh, for some reason samuel jackson just keeps making it into these big budget theatrical movies whereas nicholas cage (laughs) a lot of times ends up in the you know walmart bargain bin Mm -hmm. uh on release day (laughs) so somehow for i think i think it's also because of him like he's able to keep the prestige of himself while not while also doing the B movie, you know, yeah. he, yeah, he yeah. upvalues the B movie. Whereas Nicholas Cage, yeah. I don't know if he devalues it, but I think that no, it, I just think he's done yeah. enough shitty ones that the perception <laughs> yeah. is the perception is that if Nicholas Cage is in this, then you know, it's somehow it's subpar or his performance, yeah. he's phoning it in or whatever. Where as we've seen some of the B movies that he's done, he puts in 110 percent every fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like sam jackson i just like he can do the marvel movie and then also do like the hitman's bodyguard and they're both like have 
like elements that are really good, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like the, like the Hitman bodyguard is just like, I'm sure he heard, he probably didn't even read the script. He just heard the title and the, yeah. the, the pitch. It was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, sure. that's a Sam Jackson movie. Exactly. You know, and he gets to say yeah. motherfucker. He gets to be really mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, he's always going to say yes to Quentin Tarantino always. And Quentin's always going to put him in really good roles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, he's an amazing, amazing actor. Yeah. And, and it's a um, it's an inspiration to all of you uh, uh, wannabe actors out there because he I don't think he booked his first role till he was like uh, in his almost forty I think yeah so, you know so so for me for me for for my version of that is Ridley Scott right he he yeah. didn't direct a, a goddamn thing feature film wise until he was forty so you just got to be out there and grind it out and making those shitty commercials I guess you got to grind Sam, it out Sam Jackson did the same thing yeah yeah yeah. Um... And and I think like he's he's because of that he just will say yes. He's like Black Saint yeah. Simone, yeah. This this movie where I chain a white girl to a <laughs> to a to a heater. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so Funny I enough, that was supposed to be an art film. <laughs> that was like the art film. That yeah. But no, he's great. And again, um, to bring it back, Formula Fifty One is just one of those movies. It's one of those B movies that wasn't quite direct to DVD because there was a lot of shitty movies that were like I don't know, fucking William Baldwin and like all those guys started <laughs> yeah. making those direct to DVD and that's kind of like the milieu that I like to, to hang out in is those shitty movies. But this is, uh, I sincerely believe a cut above the rest because this did get theatrically released. And I remember there being a lot of buzz about it. Uh, and it's off the back of the success of train spotting, right? Cause Robert Carlyle was pretty big yep. at the time. Um, so if you like those kind of British wacky kind of lock stock, two smoking barrels type movies, this is, this is that, but with Samuel Jackson saying motherfucker. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. So that's <laughs> and he's yeah. in a kilt. He wears a kilt, and doesn't he? He's like golfing. At he some does. Point too. He does. He does. He does wear a kilt. I think he beats a guy with a golf club. Yeah, yeah, with yeah golf yeah. club. Yeah, Great. yeah. And, and again, that's probably another thing. He's like, oh, I get to, I get to, like, play golf. I get to wear, like, my character plays golf. Yes. And he's got a couple different, like, wacky. He's got. He wears like a giant afro, and then he's got cornrows. Like, he just does all of these yeah. things in that movie. Yeah, dude, he's just so like he's a fucking icon, right? He really like, is. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we're we're gonna see, I'm sure, much more of Samuel Jackson uh, on my list going forward. But that's number ninety-eight. Yeah. Okay, so for my number ninety-eight, I have a film from Francis Ford Coppola. It's not the big films that we know him for, like The Godfather or Apocalypse Now. Uh, it's another film that he did around the same time, like in between all these other films. That's also, I think, really, really, really good. Ah, uh, yeah. The conversation. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I was like, there's, there's only, there's a couple. Because uh, for those who don't know, I recently, when we talked about Dracula, uh, I went through, I started rewatching and then watching his entire filmography, like yeah, all yeah. of it except for like the first two movies or whatever. So I, yeah, I'm excited. Let's talk about Coppola. Yeah. So, um, the yeah, the conversation is like this is another film I saw pretty early, and it really struck me as being amazing at the time. Even though this is definitely another, again, he. I think that what he's actually good at is doing sort of basically tragedies in the Greek sense, a, a film where the character goes through a negative sort of arc. Like they, they end up in a worse place than when they started because of some flaw that they have. And this is just, again, a, a, a masterful way to tell a story in that vein. Um, and again, so Gene Hackman gives an incredible performance in this. Oh, yeah. John John Cazale is in this movie. Oh yeah. Um, there's a bunch of great acting and there's a bunch of great sound design. Um, that the ending of this film is truly like maddening, <laughs> right? Like it's just like this guy who's just on his wit's end and he's just like totally 
studied it a lot at San Francisco State because San Francisco State is somewhat like the cinema school is affiliated with the Coppolas. And uh, we had faculty that worked on films like The Conversation. And so I talked ad nauseum about that ending and the sound mixing and all of that stuff uh, and the editing. But uh, it, you know, sometimes when you are repeatedly beaten over the head and told about how great something is. It's great. It's great. It's great. This is one of the greatest things ever. You kind of like get apathetic towards it. Like Citizen Kane, number one movie of all time. Mm -hmm. Then you watch it and you're like, it was good. But uh, it's like some people have that reaction. The the conversation for me, every single time I watch it, I saw it before uh, San Francisco State. Then I saw it a couple more times after every single time I watch it. I think it just, it fucking nails that, uh, that it's got like a psycho noir vibe to it. I don't know. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, some, you know, there's there's all these like horror adjacent movies. Like this is <laughs> right. a very horror adjacent where like the ending is such a psychologically horrifying thing for for the character and the audience that it's just brilliant. It's just so mm-hmm. brilliant what you go through in this film. Um and it's just like just imagine being this character, being this guy where you know what you could do to people to take away the privacy. And then when you think about what that could do to you, it's going to drive you crazy absolutely crazy that's what happens to him (laughs) one of my favorite shots of all time is when he's uh he's like underneath the uh what is it like the the bathroom like the faucet or whatever like right next to the toilet where he's like listening in or he's like bugging he bugs the toilet i don't remember what he does like there's just like a shot of him like just it's just like the most kind of sad paranoid kind of portray like if that was a painting you know i would probably say like that don't don't do that kids (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah this this is like do you this is where you don't want to be in your life mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. want to be this person because like it doesn't have matter if you have money it doesn't have matter if you have success you're always going to have that thing in your head like are they listening are they watching right me? i gotta rip down my my the walls in my apartment and i gotta find it i know there's a bug somewhere <laughs> jesus yeah 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 it's it's an amazing film well directed i don't know did, did walter march edit this film or was he involved uh, I, in some like sound or something? I, he was always involved in the in yeah. the sound mixing, but uh, I think he edited this one. Let me just double yeah. check. Yeah, he's again. He's another the San Francisco, you oh, know, yeah. milieu of like he's he's basically like considered one of the greats of of the Bay Area film people. Um, edited Apocalypse Now. Spent probably like two and a half years on that. <laughs> Dude, just hundreds yeah. of thousands yeah. of films. Yeah, 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 and then and then spent another two, probably three years editing the subsequent Redux and then the final cut. <laughs> yeah, he um, supervising editor and like all sound editing, not like not lead editor though. Okay, but yeah, yeah. I mean the sound, the set doing sound editing for this. It's film? all sound. It's all sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh Jesus Christ, that's a, that's <laughs> a huge job. The I mean, that's basically. That's basically the premise of this film, right? It's just sound editing. Yeah. And it does that. Uh, they rip off. Not rip off, but like he he does that. Uh, every filmmaker, I feel like, went through that. Who had any amount of success went through that phase of like, I really want to do that tracking shot in the beginning of Touch of Evil, right? Uh, that it's just like a really long, like a five-minute, like single take mm-hmm. thing. And this movie yeah. kind of has that in the beginning. Uh, but it's like, it's sound-based. It's not... It doesn't. The camera doesn't move around. The sound moves around. You know, like the 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 camera just kind of pans and tilts a little bit, but it really creates this audioscape, um, which yes. was uh, really really interesting at the time. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see if there's a version of this with like a seven point one 
Dolby sound or something like that. There is now 7.1, but I believe they did a 5.1. 5 uh, yeah. they, they got Walter Merch back in the studio. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. there is, I have that Blu-ray. I believe it's right over there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to try and find that. I need to. Well, I need to get actual a 5.1 soundbar or 7.1 soundbar. Something like but, that. Yeah. 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 But I'd, I'd love to experience because, like, you know, they the level of quality and work and craftsmanship craftsmanship that they put into it, the sound design in this is it's amazing. It really is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Yeah. So that's my number ninety eight. Uh, Sweet. The conversation. Yeah. Conversation is one that's going to pop up on my list much later. It was one of those things like, I don't know how you did your list, but like I did a preliminary kind of like, okay, what are the movies that like I know are at least in the second half of this thing and I could just kind of put them to the side for now. This is one of those for me for sure. Uh, For for many reasons. It's got that, you know, it's got a little bit of that grimy mood to it and I like grimy moods. Uh, Yeah, it's very different from like the big stuff that he did, you know. At, around that same time but like you could tell it was very personal it was like something he wanted to do um because it yeah. was different everything pretty much everything after the godfather is like something that he wants to do because he had such a miserable experience not necessarily with the godfather but like just making it with the producers and the studio like just hounding him you know even though godfather is a very personal film you, you know it was kind of like he he took it over in a way he i think i get the feeling that uh, we have uh, something in common where like if you just hand me a thing and you tell me you know do this make this i find a way to completely take it over and be yeah. really perfectionist about it yeah. um but usually yeah he, he gets an idea in his head he's like i what if i i really want to tell the story about you know me and my father right uh how do i <laughs> yeah, do that yeah, yeah. and then he just like fucking fadangles it into the godfather part two so yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 he's really smart that way yeah one of the greats. Um, all right, cool. So yeah, so what's your uh, number 97? Well, speaking of one of the greats and speaking of the uh, what eventually became the uh, Steven Seagal milieu, uh, my number 97 is, and there's going to be a lot of this because uh, this this is a, a filmmaker that I greatly admire uh, as a filmmaker, uh, Clint Eastwood's The Gauntlet. Uh, it's a movie Ooh, that he okay. directed from 1977. Uh, and he, this man directed like 40 movies. So like, I don't blame yeah. anyone for not knowing every single one of his movies, but I went through it and the gauntlet stuck out to me. Um, cause it's, uh, so it was made in the seventies and right off the bat, I fucking love seventies movies. Uh, it is, I believe the first movie that he did with Sandra Locke that became his lover. And she, I think just recently passed away this year. I think it was. Yeah, 2020, by the way, like by the end of it, the body count or like Alex Trebek just died today, by the way. Yeah, Sean uh, Connery died. Sean last Connery. Week. Yeah, like by the end of it, the bo- fucking Ian Holm is dead, by the way. Yeah, Ian Holm. Uh, yeah. yeah, like just <laughs> things things like that will just, yeah, like by the end of 2020, we're going to have this list of just celebrities, influencers, yeah, whatever. Bozeman, who's like, Chadwick fucking Bozeman, dude. It's what, was he even 40? Like, was, he was, like, mid-40s or something? I think he something? was, like, 40. I think he was, like, yeah. 40. He was, like, 40, 40. Yeah, yeah, it's like, what the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. But anyways, so uh, before all of that, uh, <laughs> Clint Eastwood made a movie with his burgeoning uh, love, uh, his mistress, slash, they never married because there's a lot of politics involved because... Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, he's got like an infinite amount of kids that like people don't even know how to catalog them because he had so many mistresses. But Sandra Locke was like pretty much <laughs> canonically like believed to be the love of his life. So this is the first movie they did together. Um, it's 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 very simple. Uh, 
Clint Eastwood plays a <laughs> mediocre cop and he's assigned to protect this witness and it's called the gauntlet and the gauntlet is uh, she is this witness and he has to get her basically from point A to point B he has to get her to Chicago or some like a big city like that and uh, there's people she knows something about a plot I don't remember exactly there's like a government plot or some secretive shit that she knows about that she should know about and he basically needs to get her to court and there's a sequence at the end of this movie that is so batshit insane. Basically, like you, to, to, this would never happen in real life, but it's so like the reality is so heightened that in order to get her, they get into the city and everyone like there's snipers on the fucking rooftops trying to kill this woman. And in order to get her to the courthouse, all she has to do is like appear in the courthouse or something. They put her, they, they get this bus and then they, it's like almost Mad Max. They just basically like put up all of this like metal and yeah. like sheets on the side of the bus and the bus like rides in through the city. And there's like this firing squad almost trying to kill these two <laughs> to get to the courthouse. It's, it's, it's really, really weird and interesting. Yeah. And that so that's way. when there's they a, ran the gauntlet. <laughs> basically well and there's a there's a sequence earlier on that i remember with a bunch of bikers uh they they like fall asleep because they're on the run and there's a helicopter chasing them so they fall asleep in the fucking like desert or something and then these bikers come up on them and they take the girl right and they there's like a really like intense but tastefully done rape scene almost they don't they don't it's one of the like they don't quite get there because clint eastwood uh gets there eventually but like it it adds uh, Clint Eastwood does this a lot where like regardless of which mode he's operating in he just adds like an element of like down to earth and like really kind of gritty realism to stuff uh, and that was I don't know it's just the gauntlet is just like a, it's it's a fun action movie yes it's a crazy concept but once again it's uh, I think something that is uh, a theme here is just it's these two two characters that are kind of stuck together through various circumstances and they have to get through some challenges together and but in this case you know it's clint eastwood protecting this girl and um it's just that that scene at the end with the bus and the fucking snipers and the helicopter that has to be seen to be believed because uh i don't know how much power and creative freedom he had but this feels because at the time he was doing like he did some westerns he did high plains drifter it was like a revisionist western kind of a thing it's like a horror movie almost he did outlaw josie wales um, he was doing like a lot of these other things and the gauntlet just sticks out to me as just like, a, who is this for? I think this is for Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is just an yeah. insane movie. And I, I he really has, fuck. He has such an interesting process too, because I remember when, uh, there was just some people have talked about Un Unforgiven. There's a lot of stuff about that film. Of course. Yeah. Um, especially the actors talking about the film and his process as well as even like the writer. Um, mm -hmm. and so basically he, he'll, if, if there's a, a, a script that he likes, he'll just he'll commit it, to it Yeah, as is, doesn't change it at all. If mm -hmm. it needs to be changed, he's not going to do it. He's going to say, well, I don't, I don't like that right now. Um, and maybe he'll read the same thing five years later and do it. Uh, but mm -hmm. he, yeah. So it's probably the thing for the writer, maybe, maybe, yeah. or the, or a producer or whoever had this probably like that that the ending sounds really cool so whoever wanted yeah, to like right. get to that point that sounds like exactly it's worth 90 minutes to me <laughs> exactly exactly yeah it's 
it's really cool. It's uh, I feel like, yeah, he probably just like, you know, cause he's a workaholic, right? Every, like yeah. everybody knows that. And he gets these things done very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but he, he just, you know, but it's got a lot. It's like, uh, it's like on a really, really large scale for a seventies movie. Like there's a lot of, there's like a helicopter chase scene. There's a scene with the bikers. There's that scene at the end. There's a couple car chases. Like it's a really, really huge scale movie. Uh, and it's like the dumbest premise of all time. Like what plot could you possibly be, involved in or know about where like the entire fucking u.s military is trying to kill you like it doesn't yeah. make any sense but <laughs> but uh it's a it's a fun ass movie and uh, it made the list because it's just a little odd it's just a little off kilter of the of the normal like you know dirty harrys and stuff like that and we'll get to those don't worry but uh it made it to number 97 um i i like it the gauntlet cool cool yeah that sounds that sounds like one to check out um yeah at the very least just like poke poke at it and see like what it's about yeah 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 see that scene at the end for sure yeah <laughs> all right so for me my number 97 is a film um one of the one of the great films about like random sports you know we when we think of sports oh, movies, right <laughs> we think of like football or basketball or you know even invictus or whatever which is about rugby uh so this is a movie about pool sharks uh-huh. and so this is the hustler Oh, Robert yes, Rosen's dude. The Hustler. Yeah. Yes. Um, this this film, this film works for me on a lot of levels. So like oh, dude, what I love yeah. about it too is like, so first off, all the performances are great. And it's a movie about pool, which is very different. And the fact that Robert Rosen was able to make that cinematic is like incredible. Oh boy, also, did he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, like the main character is from Oakland. Like they say he's from Oakland, California, which is mm-hmm. fucking cool for me. <laughs> uh Fast Eddie Felson. And then, yep. so we also have um, this great performance from Jackie Gleason as Minnesota Fats. Yeah. And I don't know, just, there's just something about the way that he depicts this world, which is a little, it's a little seedy, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think Paul Newman play a seedy guy, but like, you know, one of those, there's always like the seedy people that are just like a little bit too good looking for their own. It's like, yeah. why are you, why are you here with the prostitutes and the. Yeah. Like what is like, what, what, pro- what like, what is your problem? Kind what is your of- problem? Like some, what, <laughs> something's fucked up with you. If exactly. you're out here playing pool instead of selling cars or something or, right, or yeah. go to college, learn to be an engineer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Paul Newman's the type of actor who's always like, I wouldn't say, he's, I, I guess he's kind of typecast in a lot of roles sometimes just because he's just so, he's almost like the Brad Pitt of his time. Absolutely. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, he's like just so good looking. They're like, you have to be the heroic, always good guy. And he's and he um, has his like mini Brad Pitt nipping at his heel the whole time. Robert Redford. Yeah. <laughs> like, let, let me get those big roles, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just I think that this movie is like it's just incredible for what the way it depicts the world and the, the performances you get out of it. And the fact, again, making pool cinematic. Like it's yeah. incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And it's so captivating. It's so captivating. And you know, again, it's like there's also this thing too about like getting into the mind of someone who's a compulsive gambler, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that connects with people so it's one of those vices in 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 storytelling that really works. Cause I think we all have that, you know, if you just think about like in the social media age, like there's there's always that thing you're like, oh man, I gotta, I just gotta look at this thing, I gotta look at Twitter. I got to do this. Yeah. I got to go on yeah, Facebook, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's something that everyone can connect with. Cause there's always either it's people smoke or they, they like addicted to social media or something, something where you just can't put it down, even though, you know, it's going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of, again, his character kind of has that. He is really, really good at pool, 
but there's something else that's driving him to always want to play pool and be the best and you know gamble a lot on it yeah so, yeah i love this film love it what a great fucking movie yeah 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 i uh, i watched it recently i mean within like the last two or three years or whatever uh and uh, like that that opening scene where you know he enters the uh, the pool parlor and uh Jackie Gleason is there and he's just like hitting all these crazy shots and he just kind of like cases the joint and you know he's just like I you know I bet you I'm going to kick your ass or whatever and they're like no uh get the fuck out of here it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's 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 really like yeah it's it's like the right amount of seed but also like there's a love story there there's always a fucking there's love story, story. <laughs> yeah so like it's 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 got a lot of like the classic hollywood stuff it's not like pure grime, uh, but I really, really like, like you said, the, what they did with it. Yeah. Um, the making pool cinematic. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I kind of reminds me sort of like something like Raging Bull or like what he did with Raging Bull. Like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like thinking about this, this thing differently. Um Yeah. It, yeah. I just, I, I love it. I love it. And what I love too is like, there's, he also gets, the culture of pool, right? Mm-hmm. Pool has such an interesting culture about it. And uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember now, um, what's his name? Fucking hello, Patton. Uh, George C. Scott is in this movie. George C. Scott. Yeah, he, is he is so good in this movie. He plays. He's kind of like not necessarily a loan shark, but he's kind of like the the voice of reason almost, right? For this guy. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like really interesting kind of character level performances and it, it really gets you into that world of like that, that the, like you said the pool world and the gambling and all that stuff back then it was just like it was a whole like culture basically it was kind of like those like high high stakes poker games in the 1800s yes. you know yeah yeah totally um i i so one of the <clears throat> i had just been doing some research and there was this one um this blackpool player his name was like cicero murphy or something like that and i just read about his story and it was just like so fucking cool like it's just it's just so interesting like when you get into the pool stuff and the Mm -hmm. history of it it's just super deep yeah and everyone has it everyone has a nickname that's hella fucking cool (laughs) like that's what i love you have to have a nickname nickname. and it's just like the nickname and it's always a super fucking cool nickname too (laughs) and like the style too like everyone has a a style of shooting uh the pool like it's just so cool and he gets all of that he nails it he totally nails it yeah 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 i love it <laughs> very cool i know i love it too i'm glad you put it on there yeah so that's uh that was mine so uh so what's your number 96 96 yeah i like uh i like these like like the hustler is probably not going to make my list because i only saw it kind of recently uh, and I just like haven't it hasn't digested yet, right? And there's a lot of other shittier movies that I like more yeah, uh, for, for other reasons. But I'm glad that like uh, doing this back and forth, like we're able to have a conversation about the yes. hustler, you know, mm-hmm. across the board. So by the end of this thing, we're gonna have like two talk about 200 movies, right? Exactly. Uh, it's gonna be crazy. <laughs> yeah. So my number 96 is a movie. I think out of let me just scan it real quick. Out of every movie that I'm listing today, this is the one that I would say, stop what you're doing, put everything down, go out, go to fucking Amazon, rent this movie, watch this movie, watch it. Uh, Pride and Glory from 2008. It is uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor, who immediately after this got to make Warrior with uh, Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And then uh, recently he's been doing those movies with Ben Affleck, I think. Like he did The Accountant and uh, I believe- yeah, the way he- back. The way back, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I think this was his first movie that, like, kind of uh, really, kind of like his his star uh, shined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think 
other than Warrior, it's probably his best movie. And it's got those same themes. It's about uh, – so first of all, uh, if you know anything about this guy's movie, it, movies, there's like a uh, underlying kind of thread of depressing <laughs> that goes throughout. The, it's just like these characters are just like really fucking down on their, on their luck. But this one, the story of this – connects with me the most because I like movies about crime. And this movie is about two brothers. It's, so it's a familial thing, right? Uh, Edward Norton and they're not brothers. Sorry. Edward Norton plays this detective. And first of all, it's Edward Norton. So again, stop what you're doing. Watch this fucking movie. Uh, Edward yeah. Norton plays the detective and his brother-in-law, uh, Colin Farrell is also in the department. Uh, so there's they're like family ties, but then he discovers basically over the course of like a routine job or whatever, uh, some police like corruption scandal, basically. And that's also very prescient, <laughs> right? Corrupt cops. And so the movie is basically about Edward Norton is the straight man and he's 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 like he discovers corruption and he wants to uncover it. Uh, but there's forces at play, you know, like the higher ups in the police department that are not going to let this, uh, you know, they're not going to let this get out. And so the conflict is. When it's your family, kind of how do you deal with that? Like, is Colin Farrell going to have his brother-in-law killed because he discovered this shady, like, racket that's going on in the police department, you know? And I believe their dad is John Voight in this movie. Uh, and John Voight always puts in, regardless of what you think of his, like, real-life craziness, like, he always puts in these, like, especially as, like, a father figure, he puts in these really, really <laughs> yeah. strong, really strong, like, parental uh, yeah. performances uh, and there's a lot of other great actors in this movie, but again, it's it's about that like that friction of like you got this guy who's like not perfect, but he wants to do the right thing, and it feels like the entire system is against him. But it's also family drama. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, I I can't sing this movie's praises enough. And it's I I feel like and the reason it's on here again is just another one of those movies during my formative years that I picked up from Hollywood Video or whatever. Yeah, uh, okay. and. I just don't remember. I remember seeing a lot of the big ones, right? Like I saw a lot of big movies like, uh, what was it? Like American Gangster and things like yep. that. A lot of movies with similar themes and ideas that were like really high budget and big yep. promoted, right? This one I didn't really hear that much about until I saw it on video, on DVD or whatever. And then I kept going back to it. And it's just uh, the relationships are really rich. And the uh, the style of it is really kind of almost noir like it's just got that kind of like the <laughs> the uh the straight cop who wants to do the right thing but the system is against him yeah. you know? and also it's his family like i don't know uh, i really like these types of movies uh these types of like dark gritty crime dramas and this is one of the best ones i think uh and that and that for that reason it's on, it's on my list and i think everybody should check out pride and glory uh, even if you don't check out any of uh, Gavin O'Connor's other movies. Yeah, very cool. Um, I feel like Edward Norton, He if he's going to choose a project, like, it's not just... Yeah, you should put your eyes on it, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he is a deliberate person about the time. And since, basically, since he blew up from whatever Primal Fear, since yeah. then, he's he's been very selective. And he, he always selective. chooses, like, some kind of a character that's going to be very strong for him. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's, and he's smart about the roles he chooses. Yeah. Well, I, to, I think I told you the story before uh, when we were off air, but uh, at the time, you know, after Primal Fear and uh, a couple other movies, you know, he was, he was very, very, very in demand. And uh, Francis Coppola was making the Rainmaker 
Uh, and so this, this was his shot. He was going to be in a Francis Coppola movie and he turned it down. I think the only other credit he had was primal fear. He could have, you know, he could have been somebody, right. But he turned it down because he wanted to do this like small, he basically didn't want to be typecast in that kind of rain man, smart person, but with like character problems type roles, that role went to Matt Damon, but he said, nah, I think I'm going to, if I do this, I'm forever going to be this guy. You know, and this is going to be my moment and I'm going to be known as the guy who played these types of characters. So he said, no, I'm going to do my buddy's script, American History X, because that's different, you know, and then the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he gets Fight Club yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, again, like that was just such a smart move for him because he yeah. knows himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's a lot of actors that I don't know. I, I think they just kind of don't know themselves or they're, they're chasing after something and that kind of gets in their own way. Um, just like as a quick aside, so like uh, there was the guy who was just in like the Aladdin remake. I forget his I forget his name exactly, but he played Aladdin, mm. and he was talking about how his career didn't really go where he expected it to go after mm. Aladdin. After he was in that movie, was um, it uh, who did he in the the live action one? Yeah, uh-huh. the the newest Disney remake. Yeah, who who was do you, what character did he play? He played Aladdin. It's the guy who played Aladdin. Oh, the guy who played Aladdin. Okay, okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Got the guy, it. Yeah, the guy who was Aladdin. Yeah, and he oh, was just okay. like saying it didn't really change. And I, and I, when I think of people like that, I what comes exactly to mind is like Robert Pattinson. And I mm. think like a guy like him, he needs to take control of his career the way Robert Pattinson did. Mm-hmm. And you got to say, okay, find a director who you like, who's yeah. got you know interesting ideas but no money. Yeah. Attach yourself to their work because – Hollywood, you know, if you think that Hollywood works in that you do this thing and then you're famous and you're rich, that's not really how it works, I, I would say. I mean, for some people it does, but more often than not, it's like you do a bunch of successive roles that work for whatever reason. It could be mm-hmm. anything. It could be like you do a bunch of weird roles or you do a bunch of like kind of crazy roles or you do a bunch of strongly dramatic roles or very strongly, I don't know, emotional roles. And then from there, you kind of attach yourself to bigger and bigger films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I did a big film, therefore they're going to give me another film. They're, they're, no, they're not going to, you can never bank on that. It's, 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 and it's crazy. Again, I do a lot of like, people keep asking me like, what movies have you seen recently? Like you got any recommendations? Like what's new? I don't, I haven't watched, I think I've seen probably five to 10 movies that came out in the year 2020. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 I like, I really like to deep dive into people's careers and things like that. And you see a lot of these actors who they'll have a moment. They'll have, yes three to four big Hollywood movie that there, you know, Josh Lucas will be on the marquee for a while <laughs> and then he disappears. And then it's just like, well, he's got to work. Like, what is he doing? And then that's the stuff I really like to dig into. And that's, that's again, like just because you're Aladdin, you can't just assume that the Hollywood is going to say, ah, you know, we're going to put him in the next thing. And the next thing, like you, like you said, you know? Yeah. This guy in the chat, uh, JD Smith, uh, the artist or whatever, he just brought up like Matthew McConaughey. And I mm-hmm. think that's yeah. like a great, like this dude was huge in the nineties. Yeah. In the night, yeah. like at 1997 or 98. Well, like, wasn't he in Amistad? He was in like Amistad. He was Amistad. He was yeah, contact. And, and, uh, in that year he was in Amistad and contact. Yeah. He was huge in the night. Like, 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 I think the same year. Yeah. He was humongous. And then mm-hmm. he just kind of bottomed out. And then well, he, he no, no, he he went through his Hollywood phase. He then he did it. He did rom coms right after that. Yeah, and he did fucking Sahara. That's when he bottomed out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But he was never in anything that like 
struck as hard as like the stuff he did in the 90s where he was just right they were like yeah i want that guy in my movie when spielberg's like i want that guy in my movie you're like the guy and then he like starts doing these indie movies and then he does true detective and then he ends up in interstellar and then and he wins uh, the dallas buyers club dallas buyers club he wins the yeah. oscar yeah so you know yeah if you just think yeah i'm gonna be big and then you do like yeah five rom-coms in a row that all suck and they're all generic <laughs> and the same it's Hello, gonna Jeff destroy Lewis. your yeah, it's going to destroy your career. Yeah. Once you destroy your career. But but I can but from the inside of it, how is that the wrong choice to make? You get you're getting these offers for these 100 million dollar movies, even the fucking rom-coms. You know, I you yeah. get you're you're getting to the, play the lead opposite Reese Witherspoon and then this and then that. And then it's just like how could these be the wrong choices? It's uh, hard. Well, it, yeah, it, you don't it's, know. Yeah, it, it's hard because you got to so like again, the Robert Pattinson is a great example. So he went pure indie yeah oh yeah oh yeah pure indie right he didn't do any like anything above like an indie movie he didn't really go back until basically now when he did tenet and he's gonna be batman yeah Uh, because he want and he because he knows himself he knows who he is he wants to be the weird (laughs) preacher in in devil all the time like that's Mm -hmm. who he is he lives to be that yeah and and he also made specific choices about directors too yeah. Uh, was it Claire Dennis? He was in a movie Claire with Denis, her. Yeah. Denis, yeah. He's in a movie with her. Um, it didn't work out, but he was in a movie with the guy who did Embrace of the Serpent. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he, he basically lifted the Safdie brothers out of obscurity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, we, their career is because of him, basically. Straight up. Yeah. It's it's like we talked about the with the cinematographers, is it's like the talent is out. Like there's so many talented people trying to make movies all the time. It just takes that one thing to kind of lift them up, you know, raise their profile a little bit. Yeah. And so just to like kind of come back around, like people like that, like, you know, obviously the the the, the guy who's in Aladdin is never going to hear this or care what I have to say. <laughs> exactly. But if I was giving him advice, if I were his agent or whatever, I would say, what we need to do is find someone who's like mid to lower level, attach you to their film, do something mid rangey 10 to 15 million that where you actually have a character where you get to act and you're the lead. Because Hollywood's going to want to stereotype him as either at best, like the sort of, you know, the interesting, oh, he's an Arab guy. Yeah, ooh, ethnic. That's at best. Yeah, ethnic. That's at best. At worst, you're the fucking terrorist, basically. Yeah, yeah. Or the smart terrorist or whatever. mm -hmm. So you got to control your career to get ahead. And then if you like successively do a bunch of projects where you show your range, you show that you can act, you show that you have talent and you have an audience then there people are going to come to you the big people are going to come to you and be like you know the nolans are going to be like i want you to be in this film where you play Mm -hmm. the main character Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's i think and that's where we're at right now and that's kind of how it's always been yeah i don't think mcconaughey probably hadn't acted in like 15 years you know by the time he got a true detective or something like it to him he was just kind of do it and go by the numbers getting that getting that paycheck getting exactly paycheck yeah And then you get, yeah, you know, you get caught up in life and like he's, he was dating another actress, Penelope Cruz or whatever. You got to play. Yeah. You got to fucking, you you play a role, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and so then, then you're just like, do, you know, at some point he probably, I don't know, they probably broke up or whatever. And he's like, wait, what the fuck, what the fuck have I been doing for the last eight years? I've just been doing trash. Just being a movie star. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, well, Brad Pitt, same same situation, you yeah. know. He had his fucking number one and on the marquee for like a solid decade, and then you you go through one Brad Bear, bad breakup, 
granted you hook up with again like the next biggest star kinda, in the fucking universe he went but yeah he, yeah. he I, I i would i would say he went he went up a step notch. up absolutely yeah. a step up yeah yeah, yeah. it's but like, like it's like trading in your bmw for like a ferrari like a brand new right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm sure there's much better car analysis. Uh, analysis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not smart enough to come up with, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, anyways, for anyone who hasn't uh, heard it, uh, Pride and Glory, Glory. Edward Norton. Uh, Glory. That's that's what got us down this rabbit hole, and yeah. uh, this is yeah. one of those movies that boy, like if you've seen Warrior, you know, like you know, mm-hmm. kind of like the impact that that had. Like people were like. Wow, like I never thought of like bo- was it boxers or MMA fighters? What it was they? MMA. That was like yeah, the was first like, big MMA movie. Yeah, because it was like MMA people are people too, kind of a movie, you know. And then there was the whole yeah. relationship. It was the whole relationship with their dad, and they had like this broken relationship with Nick Nolte and everything. This is like the proto version of that, but with corrupt cops and like a crime plot. Uh, but it's the same thing, you know. It's just the, uh, Edward Norton and Colin Farrell. Their family, they're related. Their wives don't know anything about this, but their dad, you know, they they just have to go to their dad, uh, uh, the John Voight character. So yeah, it's just it's 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 it's, it's, it's along those lines. Yeah. yeah. So I really cool. like it. Cool, cool. Yeah, Pride and Glory. Okay, so for me, my number ninety six. It's a great French thriller film. Um, it's called The Wages of Fear. Ooh. So I've seen this a while back um and it just like when i saw it it just really struck me as like a powerful film so this film is about a group of four um sort of down in the luck guys that uh are basically sent on a task to drive some trucks with nitroglycerin to uh through some very perilous uh terrain to to then ex- Take then explode a uh, oil gas fire. Yes. Okay. And it was remade as sorcerer. As sorcerer. That I was like, I've heard of this fucking movie. Why have I heard of this? That's why. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, the Witches of Fear is the original. The the original. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible. What I love about this film is like the characters are very seedy and kind of they're not they're not like your prototypical good guys. Um, they're all very flawed, but it makes you like them more because they're basically sent on a suicide mission. It, it, this is like the Suicide Squad kind of shit. It's just yeah, right, yeah. It, it, and it's just like you're like, man, these people are bad, but do they deserve to just basically die and be treated like they're worthless? Um, and and it's you know again, they always there's so, this film is so good at making the stakes feel real at a, at so many different moments where there's so many times you feel like, dude, they could just die. They could just die. They could just die. They could fall mm-hmm. off a cliff. The thing could yeah. explode. Something bad could happen to them. And you're just expecting, like, this is not going to end well. Uh, but it keeps you invested all the time in the film. It, it is an absolutely incredible, well-written, well-directed, well-paced film. Uh, and I definitely couldn't recommend it more. I think it's it's one of those films, like, if, if I had to say, like, what is a film to study if you want to understand structure and writing in film? This is yeah. one of the ones I would say. It's I haven't, really, I haven't really seen it. I'm, I'm basing all of this off of my my knowledge of Sorcerer, but like if yeah. it's, uh, and usually remakes are not, uh, or they're just like done differently than the originals. But like if it has anything of of that structure of that movie, then yeah, yeah. I I definitely I, I want to see this now. Thank you for bringing it to my attention again. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, the director. Um, I forget his name, but he also did like uh, Diabolique. Uh, he's a really talented. Oh French yeah, director. I like that film. Yeah. Yep. Very talented guy. And, so and the and the nineties remake with Sharon Stone and Chaz Palm Palmateri or whatever. Uh, again, that's my milieu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think uh, this film, uh, this was this was a film like that really, you know, there's some films you watch and you can just tell the craft is so much higher than other stuff that you mm. see. Like you could just tell the pacing, the characters, the moments, the the fact that you always feel invested in the story. Like there's so many times where you just like there's stories you're like, do I really care about the characters right now, or am I just going through this because I'm going through the motions of the story? But I don't really that I haven't been. There's not enough created for me to care. This film makes you care about what's happening. This seems to me like a like a really prime like top three like cinematic. Story, like stories that are just like purely cinematic, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because like the premise is so you have to drive a truck full of explosives yeah. on a dangerous journey. And right. It, yeah. <laughs> and and there's just so many things that cinema does that other things can't do, where they you know they'll show you the thing and then they'll show you the guy's face and then it's just yeah. like it really keeps you gripped. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And again, I think the like one of the you know there's so many things that they make them do, but like one is like they have them drive over this this uh. The, basically, it's it's like a cliff, but there's there's like almost like the Indiana Jones the oh rope like bridge a kind like of a rope bridge oh that yeah. that's in Sorcerer too yeah yeah like the rope bridge scene and you're just like dude this cool. is fucking crazy <laughs> right it's like like a, like all you have to see is a truck and a rope bridge and you're right like, dude, this is crazy you're going yeah. to die you're going to die <laughs> yeah 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 I'm I'm definitely gonna add that to my list because Sorcerer <laughs> is going to be on my top 100 later yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't seen Sorcerer yet, but I'm I'm sure they because that was a pretty so legit director, right? Like it was uh, Friedkin, William Friedkin. It was right. It was uh, at the height of his powers, right after uh, Exorcist, I believe. Yeah. Oh, that was a smart move for him to do that next. Well, or ish. It was. It, it, you would think, but it actually like the Sorcerer did not. Uh, it didn't do well box yeah. office wise. Uh, people yeah, sure. fucking. Tarantino put it on his top list or whatever, and he's like, yeah. "I've got a 35 millimeter print, and I watch it all the fucking time." Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like a Blade Runner. It's just like, yeah, you've got this guy at the height of his fucking creativity, mm -hmm. and then that the next movie they make is just like, eh. So the other thing too about this, so people don't talk about this, but I feel like a lot of film is basically a good percentage of it. Percentage of it is luck. So like, imagine oh, if yeah. Sorcerer. Oh, yeah. Right. Imagine if Sorcerer did do well, what he could have done next. Right. And there's so many careers where it's like, you know, I mean, there are definitely people who are just crazy and they 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 get they catch lightning in a bottle once. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're not actually talented. But there's a lot of people who are talented and they just don't, you know, like if if Steven Spielberg makes Jaws, but then Close Encounters flops and then right if, if the next right. thing he did was 1941 that's it we may have yeah. never seen his career that would that would have been it that's true that's very that would true. have been it but the mm -hmm. fact that that the it's continually successive films that make money or yeah. at least they have some kind of that we get these careers and it's there's so many people where they just fall off and it was just luck it, like it sorcerer, is, yeah sorcerer is a good film it's not his fault Jeez. that it didn't make money yeah and but it, it, it's got it's got a tinge of that apocalypse now in it and that he went to like absolutely certifiably clinically insane lengths of shooting in the South American jungle under the conditions felt that that scene over the rope bridge, they shot it in like actual torrential downpour. Like, like they went through, like there's an element of that seventies uh, craziness. Yeah. That the, the, the studios, art tour, 
the mm -hmm. exactly yeah the studios recoiled yeah. after apocalypse after sorcerer after heaven's gate after heaven's movies gate. like that they're like fuck off like we're not giving you guys money anymore they were like nope yeah because nope. people just didn't they didn't go watch those movies like apocalypse didn't do well at the box office did it i mean i think it did uh, okay. apocalypse apocalypse did okay it depends on what the budget is but i know that i think that one actually made a profit the problem for him oh. was that he did the fucking music yeah the musical I listened, yeah <laughs> Listen, I don't even like musicals. I like that movie, but when I read, like, so I watched it in a vacuum, then I read up about it, and I was like, you spent how much fucking money? I know, dude. <laughs> like, don't musical... get me wrong. It's a good movie, but yeah. what the fuck? You would think that Apocalypse Now was a thing that destroyed him, but it wasn't. Like, he, he, wasn't, won, yeah. he won a Palm d'Or. He won, he won a fucking Palm d'Or and an Oscar for that shit. <laughs> like, he, that, that, and then he, he went, he said... <laughs> Like the shit he said in France, like he said, he said, like, Apocalypse Now, it's not a movie about Vietnam. Apocalypse Now is Vietnam. He said that yeah, shit. He yeah. fucking said that shit in France when he won the Palme d'Or. It was great. Um, just so, yeah. just so, like, like, oh, I have so much power, you know? Like, yeah. Like when you're the director and you just spent 300 fucking days and then mm, two years in the, and, and the edit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you fucking, like, half the time you got a gun to your head and your wife's taking a picture with your gun to your head. And then you mm -hmm. come out of that, you cut, and then you spend a week with motherfucking, uh, what's his name? And, and like, he won't come out of the, the trailer. Um, uh, with uh, what? Brando. Brando, yeah. Brando, yeah. Brando just won't come out of the trailer. He's fat and he's like. And he's fat yeah. as fuck. And you're he's like, oh. And you pay. And the fact they paid him, they paid him like four, three weeks, period. Whether he shoots or not, they paid him four, three weeks. I think he shot like two or three days. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it was like he's paid, he, he paid him like $4 million for three weeks, regardless <laughs> of if he shot or not. And he spent the first week. He spent yeah. the first week in the fucking trailer. <laughs> what a disaster! Uh, I was having a conversation with one of my friends last night, kind of explaining to them how how like things get made, right? Because he was ta we we're talking about like a, a video game movie coming out, the Uncharted movie, and I I was like, no, like they've been trying to make this for ten years, and they're like, why does it take ten years to make a fucking movie? And I was like, let me explain to you. Uh, and then at the end of it, he came out of it, he was just like, movies are insane. And I was right. like, you have no fucking you have no idea. idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude. Because once you understand, it, then you then you realize that any movie that is any good is a miracle. It's an absolutely absolute miracle. Yeah, even even things that are shit or like you know the great B movies that you talk about, anything like, that just comes out. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah, yeah. After a certain point, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway. So like you know, talking about sorcerer and whatever and the wages of fear. It's like mm -hmm. the wages of fear actually made money ironically oh, i'm very happy to hear that because this is the, yeah. again it's just one of those purely cinematic ideas that like yes if this doesn't work then why what are we doing why are we making movies right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so yeah i mean it's just and, and this is a guy he rode the wave right he did this then he did uh, diabolique and then mm. i think he did some other stuff i forget um but and then but, he, i'm assuming he just fell off into obscurity after a while he, he uh, probably i mean everyone falls off right after yeah. a while even even hitchcock yeah. did yeah you know? true, true 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 so um but yeah so yeah that's my that's my film uh Very so yeah cool. so now Gotta we're at 95 right 95 yeah so yeah so what's your number 95 well <laughs> i didn't even know this was next that's funny because we just talked about uh all this fucking insanity uh my 95 is a francis ford coppola film Ooh, gonna be a lot of those um and it, it made it it's 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 very high up the list because I really, really, really like or low, I guess you could say. I really, really respect his movies. I really like the movies that I like, I like a lot, right? Uh, of his. 
uh, like the conversation, I'm for sure putting it like much, much, much later. Um, but this one I, I liked and I only saw it recently and it already made my list because I was just kind of struck at how forward thinking or contemporary or just kind of how mechanically how like it plays like a movie that would have been made like it is an indie movie today. Uh, it's the rain people. It's the it's a movie that he made right before The Godfather. It's the one that Warner Brothers saw and they were or no, sorry. He made it with Warner Brothers. Paramount saw it and they were Paramount. like, this guy could probably do it. Yeah, let's get this guy. Yeah. The Rain People is and it's also the movie where, you know, George Lucas gets as part of his fucking class or whatever. He gets to hang out on set of The Rain People and he's credited as a PA and, you know, that whole thing gets started. But uh, on The Rain People, it's 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 actually divorced from all of that, all of the story. The story itself is actually a very small, it's a personal type of story. And what really got me is in the beginning of this film, so it uh, it follows this woman. Um, I should get the IMDb up so I can get all the names of the people right. Um, so basically, it follows this woman, and uh, we don't really know anything about her. It's just a couple like abstract shots. She's in bed with her husband, whatever, and then in the middle of the night, she takes off i believe it's in the morning she goes to her parents house and then there's this great shot of just like on her face uh while her parents are like orbiting around her and they're like what are you doing i can't believe you're doing this that's insane where's your husband blah 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 blah. and then she takes off she drives for a while and then she goes in this phone booth and the phone booth is really where the movie got me and uh it's basically just the scene where she calls her husband and she's basically like i'm out like see ya like we're we're i I don't know what's going on i gotta go uh and oh by the way i don't know what to do about this uh i'm pregnant (laughs) <laughs> and the husband's like you know okay calm down you're having an episode come back and she's like i don't i don't think i want this baby and he's <laughs> oh, like no no like it will we'll, it's okay we can talk about this and basically you know she just takes off and she's just trying to basically experience something because she got married really young she's really young in the movie and uh so it's it's a road movie kind of in that way and uh she picks up a hitchhiker uh played by james con jimmy con and uh he's this really he looks really good in this movie he's this like jacked football player and she picks him up turns out this guy as uh he's he he's he has uh He's had too many concussions. Basically, he's he's mentally ill. He can't. He has the mind of a child. Basically, uh, so she picks him up, thinking that she's going to hook up with this guy and have a <laughs> crazy experience or whatever. Turns out she has to take care of him now because he's basically yeah. a child, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of drama there. There's a great scene. There's a lot of sympathetic stuff where like she's trying to seduce him and she's like basically getting naked in front of him and he just kind of like doesn't understand what's going on. And James Conn puts in this really, really, really like affecting performance as this guy. And then ultimately they go through a bunch of stuff. It's again, it's kind of like a road movie. Uh, and by the end of the movie, uh, they meet, uh, they end up in this like bumfuck nowhere town and she tries to pawn this guy off on a farmer or whatever. Um, and then Robert Duvall enters the picture and he plays like a very, very dirty, corrupt cop uh, of this small town. Cause it's a small town thing. He's a sheriff, I think. And he's got all the power. He lives in a motor home. His wife is fucking dead. Uh, there's like all of this great, tragic, like really gritty drama stuff in this movie. And I was really not expecting it. And again, the reason that I put it uh, on the list already after seeing it is that it just feels so like, uh, not necessarily prescient, but it just feels like the way that it's made. It just yeah. feels really modern, you know? Mm-hmm. And it feels like, because that's the thing about Coppola, I feel like every time, every single movie of his that I've seen, up until a point, obviously, uh, is kind of 
the formula of the way that all movies are being made for the next 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And this feels like we're still making movies like The Rain People. Like The Rain People could be remade today, you know, like they remade the fucking The Beguiled, you know, the Clint Eastwood movie. Like they could remake it with someone else and it, the story is just as affecting. You know, it's just about a woman who is at this point in her life and she's experienced absolutely nothing and she just has this mental break when she realizes that she's pregnant and she's going to be stuck in this relationship forever. Granted, it was the 1960s when this was made, but yeah. Uh, it's just a really cool, really, really, really well made, and if nothing else, you got to check out James Conn's performance in this movie because it made me, yeah. it made me feel things. <laughs> yeah, I love like I feel like there was a movement in the '70s where there was a lot of people, film school people especially, where they basically looked at the European films of like the '60s, mm-hmm. and they they did an American version of those films mm-hmm. where it's more about the characters. Uh, experience or their journey more so than like having a strict three, you know, the, 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 the story, you know, the, the, the strict plot. story structure. Yeah. yeah. The plot yeah. is more about a feeling of a character over time than a plot. Um, yeah. The one that comes to my mind, I can't, I forget exactly what it was called, but it was a Jack Nicholson film from like 71. Oh, uh, five easy pieces. Five easy pieces. Like, like I felt like watching that film, like this is just a European film made by Americans. A hundred percent, dude. I felt the same yeah. way. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting too, because like even Americans can't really do it, do that. You know what I'm saying? Like it still feels American. It's still like oh, the yeah. Europeans, they have this thing where things linger or whatever, or there's these moments that kind of feel, I don't know, kind of, kind of like, like they, 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 they like to kind of go on sometimes. Uh, but I, I feel like even, even they when do, there's, yeah. yeah, there's American version, there's still, it's, you can see what they're doing. You could see it's like, oh, I, I'm supposed to be invested in the character in all these moments instead of thinking like, where are they going in the plot or something? Mm-hmm, or what is mm-hmm. the what is the goal they're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Um, but even those films, they feel American. Uh, they, they feel, feel yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, right? Because like, yeah. But there's, but there's, but when I think about the Rain People, for example, everything you just said is correct. But I think maybe the way that it's shot is a lot more. I don't want to say cinematic, you know, because that's not like the European films aren't cinematic, but they're just different. You know, I feel like the European films are just kind of they. it gives me that vibe of like they put the camera in the corner and the reality happens. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> the rain people's got a lot of like, again, that scene in the phone booth when she's on the phone. Mm-hmm. It's a slow zoom. It's kind of like the opening scene of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's a slow zoom. you hear the conversation, but it's a slow zoom on her. And then we, we hang out on her for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the it cuts to the other side or whatever it does. Like there's just, I feel like a lot more consciously put on the style of these pieces versus than just like you're here with these characters. Now Uh, it's, it's, it's that, but it also adds these other kind of like stylistic elements. Yeah. I I think what it is is like there, when you are inundated with the American sort of style of filmmaking and storytelling, your brain thinks that way inherently. Mm-hmm. And so the Europeans, and this is, you know, it can be a good thing and be a bad thing. A, a lot of ways it's a good thing. They like breaking rules, right? Yeah. Especially like yeah, the yeah. French New Wave guys. That was all about, a lot of it was just breaking rules. I love Doing the jump cut, too, yeah. doing stuff. And yeah, and it's great. And and for the Americans, it's like, I want to do, I want to take that feeling you get from seeing the European art film about the character and mm-hmm. then take the way that we think about film cinematically. The, the, the kind of structure, because Hollywood is a very much, especially at the time, just formula, 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 yeah. you know, first yeah, act, totally. second act, shot, reverse shot, this and that, you know? And so I think you're right. I think they did take, they took the feeling of it and they kind of transposed it. They made this like weird mishmash, you know? With it's a, it, yeah, it's, 
it's a little interesting of a mismatch, but it, I, I like it. Like like the five easy pieces. I, I love that film. It just it's just so interesting seeing that mixture of an American film, that American style of filmmaking, but a European art film with a yeah. great actor. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. sounds like this is similar. Like you get these great actors giving great performances. Well, speaking of great actors, I really wanted to get her her name right. Shirley Knight plays the uh, the lead in this movie. And by the way, passed away April of 2020. Um she's been nominated for Oscars in the past and stuff like that, but like her performance, because it, it all hangs on her, right? It's all about her yes. journey kind of discovering yeah. all of these degenerates. <laughs> basically. Yeah, 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 um, but it's like her and especially like James Caan in this movie, there's just like, these performances are very like un Hollywood, you know, they're very like not mm. gone with the wind. Uh, and uh, it's the yeah. beginning of that movement. And it's, yeah, it's, it's still, the movie came out in 69. So yeah, it's like getting, getting past that, and that was like another thing too, like the acting of this time, uh, the Brando stuff from the fifties was really starting to transform yes, the landscape yeah. of what is acting, mm-hmm. right? Method acting and stuff like that really starting to transform film because yeah, like you said, the forties, like the other day I, I was watching like uh, some of the, cause, cause like I watched Rebecca, the remake. So I watched the original oh, yeah. and then I watched letter from an unknown woman mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. seeing the way that like Joan Fontaine is a great actress. Yeah. Seeing the way she acts versus just to give an example, like Naomi Watts or something today mm-hmm. is very different. And very different. The sixties was like when that change really started to come the late sixties. Yeah. Where you see these people who act in a different way yeah. from what the classical Hollywood acting is. Yeah. The way you it's emote, fun. the way you relate with a character, you know? Yeah. I think, I think you put it, you put it well, because I've always had a hard time kind of, understanding because the performances of the 30s and 40s are really 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 good but they're good in a different way like everybody talks like this see but they've still got that intensity and they 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 get the emotions across that they need to get across but obviously because of the time that i was born in i'm much more partial to the 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 new kind of like new hollywood if you would call it that kind of way but they're both very good but they're just very different styles it's very different and just you know again like Laurence olivier was considered like one of the greats of his Mm -hmm. time and You know, and he is he is an amazing actor, amazing yeah. actor. He is so different from what we think of acting now. Um, it's just so different because a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, film acting as a thing, it, you know, especially like- It's so weird, at first, right? Yeah, it is, yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah. It's different than the stage. And I think it took a while for people to understand because I feel like film as a medium, it's, it's mostly a director's medium. Mm-hmm. I'd say like the most, but I think it's also really an actor's. Yeah. The actor oh, has a lot of power. Like on stage, the actor has basically all the power, like 90%. But in film, yeah. like the actor can have a huge amount of, because the level of intimacy that you can get with a close-up or, that's or it, a that's medium shot, about. Yeah. That, is, that is what you can get that film can do that other mediums can't. When you can be right on someone's face yeah. to see their emotions change. Or even have someone wh- where it's like you see someone in a crowd of people, and it's really like a, a like a like a long shot, and you just see them, and they're different from everyone else, and you mm-hmm. don't have to like do anything or say anything. You can just get the feeling from them there. Yeah, and so I, I think this was another thing where people were really starting to understand the power of film for the actor. How yeah. can you harness it exactly? Truly, 
Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I, I'm sure many other smarter people than I through the years have, have said this, but uh, this is just something that I came up with like a couple of years ago doing uh, like taking directing actors classes and stuff like that and watching movies and watching in particular because I like a lot of I watch a lot of action movies and shitty movies and plot driven movies like that. And I'm always like when I think of uh, a lot of movies that have like a like a tenant, for example, has these great inc- like fucking mind like crazy, crazy set pieces. And you remember those. But for at the end of the day, for me, the ultimately we're going to end up on someone's face while they the, the, the story is revealed or whatever. So in my mind, the actor is the ultimate special effect. And that's just something that I came up with. And I'm sure somebody else has already said it. But like. To me, the special effects have always been the actors uh, because you can have all of these great set pieces, but they're not human. And, you know, and you can have obviously ways you can weave emotion into that stuff. But like to me, ultimately, at the end of the day, audiences are always going to end up on someone's face, you know, as the resolution of the film comes or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I've always I've always held actors in really high regard. And The Rain People is one of those like really performance driven movies, but also Coppola's style is again it's that french it's it feels like a you know one of those european new wave films but it's it does have a very strong style to it uh and it's it's an understated style like a lot of his movies uh but it's just really smart that's all i got it it's just a really smartly made movie for the time yeah yeah cool oh i haven't seen that one yet i've basically seen like most of his you know films that are sure, really yeah. great uh but i need to see like some of the other stuff and just see how i feel about it i think you would like the rain people i think you you'd be surprised i was surprised by it yeah yeah, if it's like five easy pieces, I love that movie. <laughs> so uh, kind like, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, so my number ninety five. So this is like one of the first like really really big sci fi movies in the history of film. Uh, so this is a German film, it's Metropolis from nineteen twenty seven. Oh yes. Yeah. So this film, like again, this is probably like the first really massive, massive. Um, <laughs> which is funny to think about. It. It's like the first massive. <laughs> sci-fi film in the history of film massive and, massive 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 yeah i mean this yeah. thing was probably the biggest most expensive film of all time when it was shot yeah um and this was like again this is a film made right at the precipice of when the sound era was about to take over mm-hmm. and you know this 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 time period like the late silent period we got some amazing films yeah. where people yeah had really figured out like the pure cinematic storytelling style and what to do with it and like all these interesting techniques again this film they use so many cool techniques on how to like you know use miniatures use the the stuff that allows you to like have a matte painting in front of people doing stuff so it looks like a massive building but it's actually just a set i was gonna Um, say most of just real quick most of the stuff that they had figured out by the end of the 20s in these massive movies they were basically painting with the camera in such a way that most of these things are completely forgotten. Like n- nobody, there's maybe a handful of people who know how to do these things these days. And, yeah, and, no, that, and that that's a real thing. Yeah. That's a real thing. Like uh, they were saying there's some films where they don't know how people did it anymore. Cause it's everyone literally who fucking it is, magic. Right. Yeah. Well, everyone who did it is no longer alive and they didn't document their process of how to create it. So it's just, yeah. it's just there it's just like well, it's oh, just it's just like any other it's just like any other painting you know like you d- unless da vinci wrote about it you don't know kind of how he did this or what his thought process was you can you can infer and you can go to the experts but it's there's just techniques and and the way of thinking about making movies yeah 
Yeah. And so this film, you know, again, like it's just so interesting um, what they were able to achieve using all of the most advanced, basically technology of the time. And what I love too about, again, this era, they, it's just pure cinematic storytelling. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the story of this film was really just sort of about like the elites controlling the workers and like screwing them over basically like it, like it's it's like the tale super, is all this time yeah like <laughs> still to this day like of like course. today today metropolis is parasite <laughs> um you're right it's just like in 1927 it was metropolis and they just keep uh bet or, or like um modern times you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. like there's always there's always this conflict and uh yeah some of the stuff is like so it's like they, like there's just <laughs> Like there's this thing where the the guy is working and he basically has to control the hands of a clock. Yeah, to... yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's insane. that was that was their idea of like how shitty work would be in the future. The, yeah, but, but it's probably well, actually gonna be possessor, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But consider, yeah, this is all before 1984. Like 1984, fucking in, informs so much of sci-fi and social commentary and stuff like that. This is just what they came up with at the time, but it's just, I feel like it's just as, uh, what's the word, relevant, uh, valuable, you know, as as anything else we could come up with. I mean, it's it's all at the end of the day, shit work being done. Yeah, yeah, it's like work sucks, people, but there are other people who are, you know, like basically living off of how shitty the workers are and there yeah. needs to be some type of, yeah, like like the what happens at the end is it says like I forget what it was, but it it, it was there's a there's a line in the film that they say like like there has to be a mediation between the head and the heart, and the head is yeah. the, the mediator between the head and the heart is something something. Yeah. yeah, it's something. Yeah, and that was like the big thing, and then they come together, the worker like the yeah. basically the, the head of the labor union, <laughs> and like the, <laughs> like that's literally what it is. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally the head of the labor union and this and the fucking super elite guy who's who's telling them what to do. They they come together and they shake hands at the end. <laughs> well, it's the yeah, it's but it's 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 very much of its time in that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I love about the film is just the fact that they it's just an artifact of what was possible at this time. Like it's unbelievable what they did in 1927. Yeah. Yeah, to create this futuristic world, and also interesting thinking about what people thought of the future at this time, right? Because I, I feel like this is basically the year that they're they're shooting for is somewhere in the two thousands. Yeah, yeah. So they're just saying eighty years in the future, this is what we think the world is going to be like. Um, it's it's a great film. It's an amazing film, it's, and it's yeah. I you know, uh, yeah, I had a friend who is uh, again just kind of just watches whatever's popular, but he recently told me he was just like oh i want to watch metropolis that's on my list and i was like nah no shit like you should go for it uh but i always struggled with as as somebody who is obsessed as a, as a collector and somebody who is obsessed with alternate cuts of things maybe you can shed some light on this for me how does one watch metropolis because i uh, from what i understand uh a lot of it is missing it's gone it got burned up or something so yeah, how so what is what how did this come to be this was really funny. So I was actually, when I was in college at UC Santa Barbara, uh, they showed us a basically the latest cut, the mm -hmm. latest version of it. At that time, they found some footage in a salt mine somewhere. <sighs> cool. No joke. Found yeah. it in a salt mine, and they uh, fused in another five, 10 minutes. So I'm pretty sure if you look for the latest cut, any any DVD probably made after 20, I'd say 2012, yeah. will have the most completed version. I don't think that you need to... I, I would say... 
probably anything that's in the I, I don't know how long the film is. It's probably in the hundred and it's Gotta probably be. close to three hours. Yeah. To a two forty. Yeah. Anything that's two forty, you're gonna get okay. because you're gonna get most of the story. The thing about it is the stuff like you can tell uh the, the stuff that's added in the latest mm. post twenty twelve version because it's literally looks different. Yeah. It it looks faded. It looks oh, faded. Okay. okay. Um but it does add a little bit of story elements and plot elements to to understanding the film. Yeah, because as a, as a, again as a completionist, this was uh, another uh, one of the great many sadnesses of of my movie uh, watching career is that like we'll never get to see the full unbridled you know five hour director's cut of this or whatever it is you know. Yeah, it is, and that's that's one of the really sad things too about just the silent era in general is there's so yeah. many films that are gone. Gone, yeah, completely gone. We'll never be able to recover them, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad because there's a lot of great films. I, I recently, I think it was maybe this year or last year, I watched this film. It's like a German film. Uh, I forget exactly what it was called, but uh, it was it was it, the film was literally girl interrupted in 1920s Germany. <laughs> and I just that was, that sounds. It was really the same cool. plot: a girl who gets troubled, and then they send her to some place where she, you know, a correctional facility, <laughs> and it's her with these other girls. And it's, it's the same wow. plot. It's the same cool. plot, but from 1920 in Germany. The same thing. Yeah. Um, so you know, and then when you when you watch these films again, you watch stuff like Metropolis, you realize at this like so quickly, like human beings are so smart, right? Oh, sure. They very quickly were able to figure out, okay, what's the what's the maximal thing we can do with this movie? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, they you're right. They I think Metropolis is like an example of like they maxed it out by the by this point. Yeah. Everything that comes after this is just bonus kind of. <laughs> yeah, everything after that is we're just iterating on the same yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're iterating on that story. We're adding a little bit of different elements. Maybe yep. we're adding a better actor or we're we're discovering other things, but we yep. they figured it out. They they yeah. basically had it figured out in 1926. Absolutely, um, and it was just like, okay, how do I then integrate sound? How do I integrate color? That that's it. But we're mm. just doing the same thing, and it's it's impressive, and it just it shows you how incredible the artists who worked on this film were, how incredible film is as a medium. That you know, you can take this film and you can take you know Tenet or whatever, and they're like, I was just thinking of that. I was just thinking of Tenet. You could trace yeah. back all of it. You could just trace it back all the way to to Metropolis. Yeah, yeah, and they all just live in the same film universe you know that's why i love my blu-ray collection baby it's all on the it's all on the same format now (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. it's great it's great it's really Um, cool yeah so yeah so that's uh that was my number 93 so what uh, or 95 i'm sorry so what is your number 94 your your list is 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 fucking insane because <laughs> I know we're in the nineties. <laughs> we've we're in the nineties and we've already talked about fucking Kubrick and Metropolis and like all this other crazy shit. And I'm over here. Let me tell you what my ninety four is. <laughs> uh, Limitless with Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Woo! Limitless, hell yeah, Limitless. hell yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Limitless, with, <laughs> hold on, let me get the IMDb for it up real quick. Um, why do I like this movie so much? Oh, I this think one's so, great. So this I've softened great. on it, um, or no, I've hardened on it, actually, is the correct term. Uh, because when I came out, I watched this movie ad nauseum. I've probably seen this movie like six or seven times. I watched it, in, I saw it in theaters, I think two or three times. And then I saw it again on video like a couple times. And uh, I was really into this movie because... There's a part of me that clearly what I like the most is like when you put 
one or two characters together, preferably who have never met each other before and like crazy shit happens uh, and they have to work together. Clearly that's something that I'm into. Another thing that I'm really into is like this sci-fi psychological brain stuff. And there's going to be a lot of that coming up on this list. And what this movie does is it kind of, it, it does the, the psycho brain stuff. Like what if you could use a hundred percent of your brain? Like it's, it, it's one of those really cheesy, corny pop kind of questions. Um, and it just turns it into like a really fun kind of uh, action thriller kind of a movie. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which is nice and helpful. Like there's these crazy Russians that are like hounding Bradley yeah. Cooper and like it, it's a little campy and stupid, but it knows that and the guy um, showed up in Tenet. <laughs> the guy showed up in Tenet. He sure he fucking did. did. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I love that. I was like, oh, that's the guy from Limitless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but Limitless keeps coming back for me. Like, it keeps coming back. Like, either the actors who are in it or some of the stuff that's done in the movie, some of the visual stuff, like when he takes the pill for the first time. Um, obviously, it's just all ripping off stuff that came before. But um, I, I think as a, like a pop artifact of the 2010s, I think it's one of those movies that you can just, it's perfectly enjoyable for anyone of all ages, of all fucking walks, you know, yeah. if you're into kind of mystery, thriller, sci-fi, it doesn't go overboard in any direction. It doesn't get too artsy with it. I, I think, uh, was it Neil Berger directed this? I think he's a really smart filmmaker. He ended up doing the divergent movies so whatever he had to cash some checks along the yeah, way that, yeah yeah <laughs> but um he did for uh, for a while he had some really interesting ideas mm -hmm. and i like this movie robert de niro's in this movie in a role mm -hmm. where robert de niro really hadn't been in anything good in like a solid while um at the time he's he's still kind of not i mean he he ping pongs back and forth between like he'll do the, the Irish grandpa and then the, the, Irishman, yeah. the fucking irishman <laughs> right yeah 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 but i think <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 he plays really well with Bradley Cooper. Obviously, they've done a lot of movies together since because uh, De Niro is like an idol to Bradley Cooper, like very famously so. Like he's mm -hmm. saying, like any chance I can get this man to be in a movie with me, mm -hmm. he's like the dad actor version of me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I really like Limitless. Again, it's just like a real. It's like a pop artifact. It's like a time capsule. You know, the 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 yeah. cinematography, the colors, the style of it, the kind of shitty noir. It's like really mm -hmm. shitty noir. Like it's not good. Like I wouldn't use this movie as an example of like anything great. But it's just a really. It's a it's a really good time. And again, at the time when it came out, I saw it with a lot of friends. I saw it with a lot of different mm -hmm. friends, uh, different groups of people. Everybody I know like this movie. It's just a fun time. And uh, I think in, uh, for my top 100, like 191, it's just a, a lot of kind of good time type movies mixed in with some of the artsy or stuff that I like. And I like them just as much. I like the extremes just as much. And so Limitless is, is on the list for me. Yeah, I just saw that film this year and I really enjoyed it. It was very fun. And I've heard, I've heard people, it, it, like you said, it's in the pop ethos big time. Again, yeah. this is another great Bra Bra Bradley Cooper as the protagonist, not a douchey, good looking guy <laughs> right. we should hate. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I heard that like someone recently was saying it was like on a big thing and it was saying like, yeah, there's only like one drug I'd ever do is the limitless pill. I would take that. Oh, 100%. sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's, again, it's in the consciousness. People, yeah, people talk about it. Yeah. And it's a big franchise too. I think there's also like a TV show now too. Oh, uh, don't remind me. 
No, yeah, the TV shows. Just... Don't, don't listen, listen. Anyone who's watching this, don't watch the fucking TV show. All right, <laughs> or or if you do, you know, if you like it, that's cool. You can like what you like, but it's it's very much like the twenty four uh, version of Limitless, <laughs> the 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 Lethal Weapon TV yeah. series version of Limitless. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I like this film too. It's very it's it's very fun. Yeah, it's got a like noir because there's a lot of mystery and then like people just end up dead and like right it's like, right. It's like what is this thing because i don't know it's, if they ever really answer what it is the you know the drug the, the limitless drug yeah it's just no. this thing and it's it's like a very valuable resource but it's a great mcguffin is what it is <laughs> exactly it's a mcguffin it's a mcguffin yeah. and it's like yeah i don't know there's a lot of thematic elements where they go with what limitless is and what it does and what yeah. it says about a person and, and, yeah, you and it, how you choose to do like if basically it's like if you had unlimited everything what would you actually do what would you choose yeah, to do with your sure. life like these are big questions right and yeah. i don't think the, the movie doesn't really try to answer any of these questions one way or another but it just poses them in like a really fun way um and i think that's why it connects with a lot of people yeah i love it i love it yeah. cool okay so for me my number 94 so this is my first spielberg film and so this film is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So Close Encounters is like, um, I, I love this film a lot. I, mm -hmm. Ironically, this same. film came out same year as Star Wars. Uh, Lucas yeah. Spielberg, they actually did a bet where they swapped <laughs> percentages. <laughs> if you I that. did not know that. Yeah. So That's Spielberg and Lucas swapped 2% Star Wars for, um, for Close Encounters. So Spielberg got two percent of Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, so, we're laughing now because, like, look where George Lucas ended up. Obviously, he's great. Yeah. But like, damn, that, that that's a funny exchange. Right? <laughs> that's a funny exchange. Yeah. But they're like, you know, again, they're such good friends. They then they then did another basically billion dollar franchise together, Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the two of them just made money hand over fist. Yeah, until, yeah, yeah. Until they retire, which they haven't even retired yet. So, <laughs> yeah, right. but yeah. Um, I, you know, I watched this film again, actually the interesting thing. So I, I watched this film again recently and I watch, actually watched, there's a, bi a big thing on YouTube now is like people watching certain things for the first time. Oh yeah. It's, reactions. Yeah. And so I watched some people watch this film and he's, he's such an interesting and brilliant director. Like he's so good at like this film. There's a lot of mystery and suspense. Actually, there's a lot of scenes, like the scenes where they first, like the aliens show up. And there's like the woman who's like a single mom and she has a kid. Oh, I fucking love that scene. And the, uh, yeah, the, it's amazing. It, the, the, the screws like unscrew themselves yeah. from the floorboards and whatever. They're yeah. screwing themselves. And like, it's, it's all super Just weird. Really and, fun movie shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then he opens the door and he's like, ah, you know, <laughs> and the mom's it's like, just, no. Like, what? It's just like the most Spielberg shit in the world, where the kid is like, "Oh, this is exciting," and the adult is like, "Oh my god, the world is ending." The adult, yeah. the adult's freaking out. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That like, and what was interesting, seeing people react to it is like that kind of plays almost like a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the stuff plays because you're ambiguous. Yeah. And he plays it ambiguously, like you don't know what their intentions are. Are they good? Are they bad? Are they just curious? Mm -hmm. But they're taking people, and they're and the the dad. Uh, in this movie he gets obsessed and he just dumps his family <laughs> the mashed potato mountain dude <laughs> yeah. he that's gets obsessed he's like, he's like making this thing and he looks at yeah. the TV like oh my god that's it i have to go there yeah. i have to go there i have to leave my family i have to destroy my life because i i don't know why but i have to go to this thing yeah yeah i love it because spielberg likes aliens that's why <laughs> yeah he loves 
he loves aliens. Yeah. Yeah. He, he goes. That's his well that he goes back to. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, John Williams score incredible in this film. Um, the when you see the mothership at the end. Oh, and the, like, that 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 those notes that they play, they still give me chills, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like that stuff is just so powerful. Um, I I love it, and and like the you know that that there's always he always so well to like hit an emotional crescendo like when he goes mm-hmm. with the with the when the uh, richard driver's character goes with the aliens and yeah. they pick him to go and it's like well you know it's just magical you're like wow yeah i forgot the, the fact that you left your fucking family <laughs> yeah right because he he yeah he fucking... but this was he, he, it was his meaning he was meant to be he was meant to be the one to exactly. go on this journey and it's supposed to be something more important you know, we yeah. expect that it's some kind of massive cultural exchange that's super important. Probably, yeah, right. right, right. Know, it's something. set up that way, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really. I mean, obviously, I we don't have to tell you how fucking smart Spielberg is and how smart this movie is. But there's a lot of things like that play thematically. You know, with like there's the translator character. Um, one thing that I really want to give a shout out to is uh, again the the kind of inter. Uh, breeding, so to speak, of the French New Wave with these new Hollywood guys. He gets Francois Truffaut to be in this movie. And let me tell you, I didn't know who Truffaut was when I first saw this movie because I saw it a long time ago. But I was like, I really like that French guy. Like, what's going on with that French guy? And I looked into him and then I saw some of his movies. And I was like, oh, he's a director. Then I saw 400 Blows and then I was like, this is me. This is my story. You know, so like, I I really got to, we got to, I want to shout out a lot of these new Hollywood guys, Coppola, Lucas, uh, Spielberg, De Palma. All of these guys are watching French New Wave films and they're just recontextualizing it for like Mm -hmm. dumb American audiences. They love those guys. (laughs) They love those films. They love film in general. And this was a time when like there was actually a studio system that was basically like, like, like the Spielberg story is he he literally just showed up. He yeah. found a way to sneak into what was it, Paramount or whatever? Snuck onto Paramount, snuck onto I the lot, so. and then he stole an office. Just, <laughs> yeah. He just fucking hijacked the office, and then he just started showing up every day, like, "Oh, I work here." Yeah, okay. I uh, would love, honestly, to be able to do that still without yeah. security and cameras and all of that. Like, just imagine showing up and yeah. saying, "I work here." Yeah. Yeah, and then they're like, "Uh, what do you do?" Oh, I direct films. Uh, okay. So you want to do this TV show? Okay. You want to do this TV movie? Okay. Uh, just do this shark movie. We we got a yeah. shark movie. Can you do the shark yeah. movie? Sure. Okay. Oh, and then before you know it, he exactly. Yeah. Before you I've know got it, ideas he's, for that shark movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about we don't show the shark? How about that? Uh-huh. <laughs> um. And yeah. Before you know it, again, he becomes the, basically the biggest director of all time. Yeah. Fin- financially. Um. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is just like he wrote. He wrote and directed this film. It feels very personal. It is, yeah. Feels very personal. Like I remember he, digging into the like the well of like archival yeah. features on this thing, yeah. Yeah, this I, I love this film. I just feel like it it it's 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 everything. It's it's everything Spielberg Yeah in distilled. a thing. Yeah, yeah, distilled um on a smaller level. Mm-hmm. You know? Cause like there are films that he's done later that are like super well crafted and right. so well choreographed and like he's just at the absolute peak of any human being who's ever been able to direct film and has massive resources Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but this is before that and it what's so beautiful is that it feels personal but it also still has all the the it's got all the trademarks in there Yeah. yeah for sure 
I love this movie too. I love it too. Yeah. Uh, I also special shout out to the 40th anniversary 4K Blu-ray of this, which looks really good. Uh, and also, there's three different cuts of this movie. Who fucking cares? Just watch one of them. Pick one. I don't care. There's a lot yeah. of contention over should they show what's inside the because they shot the inside of the spaceship versus does the movie end when he walks onto the spaceship? I don't really care. I think it works fine either way. Um, okay. So yeah, a good movie. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, what's uh, the next uh, film on your list? Oh yeah, let me bring you back down, all right? You take us on all of these emotional highs. I'm bringing yeah. you all the way back down. Uh, this next movie, it's it's kind of a double feature with my 92 pick, um, but I like the other one slightly more. Uh, this one's called The Jacket, and I think I might have mentioned it to you before. Uh, it's uh, from 2005. It's a movie with um, Adrian Brody and uh, Kira Knightley and Jennifer Jason Lee, who Jennifer Jason Lee will be showing up on my list probably every single week uh it's not <laughs> like she's my favorite actress of all time or anything she just picks the weird fucking movies that i like and this is a um, like we talked about possessor right last week um it's 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 absolutely like you could transpose these two movies so basically what it is is it's 2005 when this movie came out um adrian brody is a gulf war veteran he's had you know he's had experience in like uh physical harm or whatever. Uh, I don't remember what it is, but mostly it's PTSD. So he goes to this psychologist or this doctor, Jennifer Jason Lee, who has very, very, she plays again, kind of the same role that she played in Possessor. She's got these like ulterior motives. And so the, the treatment that she comes up with is an experimental treatment. She's going to put him in a straight jacket, put him in a, uh, in a, like one of those morgue, like drawers for bodies, put him in a straight jacket, putting him in one of those, close him in there. And then like fucking let him trip out basically and have these like psychological things. And, through his kind of like psychologically induced like visions or whatever, like she gets visions of this woman, Kira Knightley, and they have this like there's like this conspiracy. There's almost like some Philip K. Dick shit going on yeah. where they're able to communicate, <laughs> and they go on this like adventure together. Um, but it's just like it's I I remember I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I believe the the movie holds up, and I I hear more people talking about it. But I believe I saw it like right around the time when it came out. But um, it's, you know, it's, it's a mid 2000s movie, but like it's a really kind of a psycho horror kind of a movie, because, again, for during the events of the movie, this guy is strapped into a fucking straitjacket inside this morgue. But um, all of this stuff is happening on like a metaphysical level or some other shit like that. Um, and it's really like horrifying because it's mixed in with all the Gulf War shit, the PTSD stuff he experienced. Um and again, there's like a mystery. I don't remember all the details, but I just remember it being like a kind of like a Jacob's Ladder kind of a thing, but like a low rent Jacob's Ladder uh, mixed in with, you know, um, some other like psycho horror stuff. Um, and I, I really I remember like it's really sticking with me. Uh, and again, interesting choices from these from these people. I mean, Adrian Brody, we, you want to talk about someone's career falling off, right? wins an Oscar and then he basically just does the jacket over and over again. Um, but this is the same year that King Kong came out, you know, so he was still in it. Uh, Kara Knightley superstar at the time. Uh, and this is just a small movie that they made together. And it's like a really fucked up psycho, <laughs> psycho horror movie. And I really like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely uh, heard of that film. I'll have to check it out when I feel like I think, I think yeah, a this weird is, one. Yeah, I feel like having a weird one. I sh I feel like people should check this out or at least read up about it. Um, it's there again. The movie that I'm going to talk about after this is very much in the same vein of like that mid 2000s kind of mind horror type movies. Mm -hmm. um, but there's just like again, it's just like a kind of a 
low rent, you know, campy, mm -hmm. uh, not yep. campy. Sorry, it's not campy at all, but like a low rent psycho horror that takes itself really, really seriously. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I dig cool. this movie a cool. lot. Cool. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, so for my next film, for my number 93, mine is film The Earrings of Madame D. So uh, I've heard of this. Yeah, so this is a um, a film from, I think it's the best film of the director Max Ophuls, mm -hmm. who is an absolutely brilliant filmmaker. I think the other film that I really like of his too was uh, Letter from an Unknown Woman. But uh, mm -hmm. so for him stylistically, he was the type of guy who was sort of a uh, a pioneer of I, I he would be the type of guy today he would be doing like the 1917 single take film or ex mm. or or like the um that's right the extended single takes uh this mm -hmm. film opens with an absolutely beautiful shot uh that's like a long elongated it's like maybe two and a half minutes three minutes single take shot of this of the woman madame d just like sort of she's getting prepared to go to some event and she's super rich and she has like fur coats and she's like looking through to figure out what she wants to wear. And the way that the cat, like he is so brilliant at manipulating the camera in a way that feels like you're there, but it's doesn't, you know, there are some people they can, that the camera movements feel obvious or they feel, mm -hmm. you know, manipulated or they feel like they kind of, take you out yeah sure these they almost never take you out it's like it's, you, you, they're invisible like you don't notice it's kinda. so yeah it's so seamless yeah. that um it, it it creates a level of intimacy that um is hard to describe and it's just so beautiful and hypnotic i i, mm. I love it um and i think a lot of it too is like when you're able to move the camera and like consistently able to like say okay this is the important thing and then connect it with like okay, there's the thing in him, here's the character, here's the character's face, and here's seeing them, and then see them move, and then see them do something. Like, he's just so brilliant at figuring out, oh, I need to do this this sort of dance of the, mm. of the actor and the camera mm -hmm. to get this flow and this feel and this style. Uh, it's amazing. And um, the actress who plays the lead is uh, Danielle uh, Dariu, I believe. I'm not sure. She's French. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, she's yeah. really good at the film. Um, I love, I love, love, love this film. And again, I love this director. Uh, he's, uh, I think he did another, it was like LaRue or LaRound or something like that. Yeah. Great there's, film he did. yeah. there's a, there's a film of his, uh, I'm not familiar with this one in particular, but when you men started mentioning the kind of, uh, ex the elongated single takes and tracking shots and stuff like that, I, I remember kind of, uh, tangentially, uh, digging through some of his stuff, uh, like a while ago. But uh, that's a that's a good pull because uh, I haven't heard of this movie. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible, and I think of a guy who has a very strong body of work, it's probably the best film I'd say. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. also really, really, really like Letter from an Unknown Woman. I feel like yeah. those are like my one A and one B. But he made this in France, mm -hmm. so this is like you know one of the really great films he did before he came to America and started doing mm -hmm. some some films in the Hollywood system. I'd say that Letter from an Unknown Woman is like the best Hollywood film he made. You, right, 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 right. Um, but yeah absolutely super tough and like again his style is super like whenever you see you know just like i'm thinking of like children of men like the shot in the car yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah that stuff came because guys like him pioneered moving the camera and creating these seamless sort of elongated awesome. shots awesome yeah. i love that shit too and you know i i love anything that gets really creative with the cinematic kind of angle of it and um you got to remember in the 1950s or whatever, cameras were fucking huge. 
<laughs> it was you like towing a car or something. Around. Yeah, yeah. You don't move those things around. So whenever somebody like you've got to be like a level of an architect to kind of figure out the 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 movement, you know, and make sure that yeah. it's gonna work on film. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like it's incredible the way that he's able to move the camera so seamlessly and just it creates these beautiful compositions. I love it. So yeah, that's really that's, cool. That's for me. That's my number ninety three. The mirror earrings of Madame D. Very um, cool. So so yeah. So now we're at number ninety two for you. Ninety two. Yeah yeah yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's uh, your number ninety two? Piggybacking off the last movie, uh, the jacket. The jacket is a little. Uh, there's got like a tinge of uh, schlockiness or shittiness to it, uh, almost straight to DVD ness. But it's not. Like it's it's really like the it's it's a the, it's a very very cinematic like theatrical kind of a movie. But this one is like a more realized, much more depressing. But it's still kind of a character study. I guess another thing that I'm really into is just like character study movies of like a guy just losing his fucking mind. And I love these movies. Uh, and this movie is very much that Jennifer Jason Lee's in this movie. Um, the Ma the machinist with uh, Christian Bale. Yeah. Uh, this absolutely have a hundred percent had to be in the top 100. Um, it's a little movie. It's a little known movie, although I feel like it's getting more buzz now because Christian Bale is such a huge star. But at the time that it got made, I don't know how it did, honestly, because I didn't hear about it at the time. But um, Brad Anderson directed this. I, I don't know what the fuck else Brad Anderson did. Um, but he got Christian Bale to commit to the most insane weight loss. Just ever. insane. It, absolutely. Insane. Absolutely insane. Like, but, like but, dangerous insane. <laughs> Absolutely, like more dangerous than like a Dallas Buyers Club or something. Just absolutely fucking maniacal levels. But here's the thing. People talk about this movie and they know about this movie because of the weight loss. And I feel like a lot of people haven't actually watched the whole thing. And uh, I'm here to tell you that it uh, it's absolutely worth watching, uh, especially if you're into that kind of psychological horror type stuff. It's got a lot of David Fincher in it where the protagonist were with him the whole time, but he kind of becomes unreliable you know, towards the end. And there's a lot of kind of that mystery. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is just so great in this movie because she always does that. She's got that like, I don't want to, I don't want to call it resting bitch face because she kind of has that going on, but she's got that kind of like, uh, like a dog, like a mutt looking face of just like, I'm, I'm upset right now. Or like, I'm just not happy right now. And she plays that really, really well in this movie where no matter what she's doing, she just seems like really fucking strung out and depressed. I believe she plays a drug addict in it too. So it's really perfect for her. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I really dig this movie, but basically it's just about Christian Bale literally decomposing Physically, as his mind decomposes uh, over, he's haunted by the visions of like this car crash that happened where his family was killed or something. I don't remember the details, but uh, what I do remember is um, the kind of mood that this movie sets. And again, once you've got and, and the look of it too, uh, obviously it was shot on film. It's uh, I believe a, a widescreen movie. Um, really grimy. Like I feel like whatever the the process was, the cinematography the cinematography process was just. More grain, more grain, more grain, more <laughs> grain. It is a really, really dirty looking movie. And I am all about dirty looking movies. I just, all of the elegance of uh, the uh, earrings of Madame D, I want to take the negative of that. And I like to see the dirt and the bugs crawling underneath. That's kind of my, the, 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 where I like to hang out. And this yeah. movie puts me in a really cozy mood, uh, especially when I see, when I see Christian Bale looking like a fucking skeleton. So <laughs> it, it's a real, it's an absolute head trip of a movie, but I do, it is, it 100% holds up as its own story and as its own kind of a mind fuck thing. Uh, 
it's better than a lot of the early Christopher Nolan stuff. Like I believe it's better than Insomnia. You could argue it's better than um, like this kind of the mystery is very similar to Memento kind of, I want to say like, it's got that kind of mystery going. It's like a mix of like the early Nolan with the David Fincher uh, and then just like an added layer of dirt to it. <laughs> so I re- I really can't sing this movie's praises enough. I think everybody who's into these kind of movies, like a, like the Paul Schrader man in a room type movies uh, where this guy's just losing his fucking mind, like a taxi driver kind of a thing uh, really should check out this movie. Yeah. The, the, the performance is super iconic from Christian Bale mm-hmm. and like Bale is like, again, this is another guy, you know, speaking of, you know, guys like, uh, Oh, I forget who we were talking about, like who controlled their career. Um, like a McConaughey type. Yeah. Yeah. McConaughey type. Like, like this is a guy who, again, like he, I don't know how old he was when he was in that Spielberg movie. Um, oh, he was very young. He was probably yeah, like 15 or something. He was, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, I think he might have been like 10, like 10, 10 or oh, 11. Jesus. Yeah, wow. Super young. Um, he's in that movie. And at that point, he's basically royalty um, because yeah. he's, he's such, he is, he was born to act. Oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. From that point, he was a good actor. And like, no matter what, like <laughs> anyone would ask Spielberg, like, is this guy a good actor? Like, yeah, put him in yeah. your movie put him in your movie and like but but he used that to control his what he wanted to do he chose parts he wouldn't just be like yeah i want to get a pay he wouldn't do the rom-com or whatever (laughs) for the paycheck never he's never i don't think he's ever done he's not even done a movie for the paycheck i don't think never never except maybe batman even batman i think like him and nolan are sort of like a thing like they they had a strong relationship that's true. That's true. Um, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like he kind of went there with the Batman. Like, <laughs> well, know? that was the whole that was the whole sell of Batman Begins. It's Batman, but psychological, like in a way that you haven't seen it before, right? Yeah. Yeah, he went there with the Batman, but like he's he's so and he, the transformations, right? In this, he's like a skeleton. He gets jacked to be Batman. In then the same, he gets yeah in the same year. Yeah, then he gets fat later on to be in, you know, to be uh, in the Dick David Cheney Russell movies and to be in the David yeah. O. Russell movies. Yeah. Like he's done everything and he's just always, I recently saw a film. He was in Hostiles, like I a love Western. I, yeah. love I love fucking, that movie. That, really movie's, that movie's amazing. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like, dude, this guy, this guy is like equilibrium. Like, to, like equilibrium yeah. feels like a film that would make you make your list. Um, I love that oh. film. I love that film. And like, yeah. You know, in in that he's playing like a really cold, steely guy. That and absolutely will make my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that film. I he's just he's just one of the great actors of all time. Yeah, of all time. But because but he every, makes choices, every, strong choices, every you know? choice, every choice is his choice. You know, you don't. There's there's no way. Like I believe uh, after all, you know, the, he's in the fucking Spielberg movie, and then uh, he does other movies as like a child actor. Um, and then the la- the, yeah. the first big one that I that I noticed him like as part of my experience of you know existing was uh, the 2000 John Singleton Shaft movie where he played the Omega racist uh, guy right like in the beginning of the film he's just like fucking dropping all of the words that you don't yeah. want to hear he's dropping and, the ends or whatever <laughs> and, yeah and you want to and you want to hate him and so I noticed him in that movie and then American Psycho is was the same year as Shaft I believe. And then every single choice after that is just like, with the possible exception of that dumbass dragon movie he did with fucking, what is it? Was it with McConaughey? Oh, the dragon, the dragon, yeah, McConaughey. The the dragon movie is, that's, dude, that's a cult movie. You talk about a cult. cult. Whoa, that's a cult movie. Like, I remember seeing that thing in the theater and I was like, what the fuck? 
Yeah, <laughs> like I was literally like, "What the fuck am I watching?" Dude? I know. Like, like it's kind of cool, but it's like, "What the fuck is?" Yeah. <laughs> like, how did this get made? I know. <laughs> like that's what because it's like, who is the audience for a movie about a post-apocalyptic world where fucking dragons rule the earth? <laughs> like that's the premise of this fucking movie. It's like, what? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. But it's just every choice he makes. But I want to stress that, like, it makes a lot of lists of, like, uh, you know, uh, BuzzFeed, Watch Mojo, Top 10 Craziest Transformation of an Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, Christian Bale in The Machinist. Uh, and people see those clips and they're like, wow, that's pretty crazy. But I promise you, if you go and you watch that movie, it'll uh, it'll take you on a trip and it will affect you because it's a really well-made film. And I should really check into this director because I don't know what else he's done. But uh, yeah. I think he fucking knocked it out of the park for for like a type of genre film that this is. Uh, why isn't this guy making more, you know, gritty, grimy psychological thrillers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it probably got chewed up by Hollywood. Oh, I'm sure he did because this movie did not. I'm pretty sure it didn't make a whole lot of money. And <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I know it didn't. So, yeah. 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 All right. Cool. Yeah. Love Christian Bale. Love those kind of films. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, recommend right. it. So. For my next film, going back to the Spielberg well. Okay. So another one of the films, you know, everyone, I feel like everyone born after 1975 or whatever watched this film as a kid. And I did as well. And this film is E.T. Uh, I, I did not. E. Yeah. I did not see this movie as a kid. Yeah. I can, I can yeah. offer the opposite perspective. I still yeah. like the film, but I didn't see it as a kid. I mean, as an American kid, like, you get fed this shit. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Oh, my God. As an yeah. American kid, you watch Star Wars. You watch E.T. You yep. watch Indiana Jones. Yep. You watch fucking Disney movies. Yep. Uh, that's what you get put into your brain. Yeah. Uh, it is religion. It is yep. like it is like uh, baseball Jesus and Star Wars and Spielberg and, and Disney. Yeah, exactly. Et uh, Et is like yeah. As a kid, I like you know. It's just it, again, he's so brilliant with the way he he has his style, and it's so effortless in the way he's able to like you know show the perspective of a child and then make us feel that same kind of wonderment and beauty. Yeah, effort, and, effortless is a good word for it. Very well put. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we just like you know we the character stuff is beautiful in this film, right? Um, the stuff with the kids and there's all this fun stuff that they oh, do. Oh my God. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's the blueprint. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost impossible to talk about ET without talking about everything else that came after it. Right. Like all of the other movies where it's just about a bunch of kids, like, you know, Goonies or whatever. Dude, the fuck, I mean, you know, stranger things and stranger things. It, yeah. It is just rated R ET. And yeah, except the alien is fucking trying to eat you. You know? Yeah, and, and that was written even after the, this movie came out. Like, this movie, like, people forget how, like, early on this movie came out. This movie came out, like, what, 1982 or something? Yeah, I believe it was 82, yeah. Yeah, like, this This is, like, right. Like, this really kind of just sets the stage for, like, all of those 80s kids movies. Just E.T. comes out, go. Even Gremlins owes something yeah. to E.T. Gremlins, know? Like, the Goonies. And, and again, yeah. he's he has a hand in all these films. Well, those are like all Amblin pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He produced them or he was going to direct them or he had his friend direct them or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and and he's just so brilliant at this. And I mean, this, this, you know, again, like I said with Close Encounters, what he's so good at is showing you that wonderment, showing you all that stuff, creating this, you know, the the fact that John Williams scores all his films and just like the two of them together, man, they, they, 
hit you emotionally so hard over and over and over like you're gonna cry you are going yep. to cry yep. i don't care yep. what you have to say right yep. <laughs> you know yep. and in this film like the ending is so emotional like it is dude so emotional. i gotta say so like i saw this movie way not only after the fact because obviously i wasn't born in 1982 uh or sorry like 10 years before that i guess mm -hmm. to have been affected by it um that's like my parents fucking childhood movie right um not only that, I saw it like as an adult, right? And um, I kind of, and as an adult, having seen all of the movies that it spawned and all the other movies he co-produced, like we talked about Goonies and all that shit, I saw like I saw E.T. very late. Uh, I had seen clips of it, but never the whole thing. And I was kind of apathetic towards it. Uh, at least my mindset was going in. I was just like, all right, well, I, mean, I guess I might as well watch the fucking one that started them all, you know? Uh, and I was just kind of like, whatever. I was like, that's really good. I could, I was like breaking it down technically, right? But then that ending, dude, that ending, just it, how does that not make you feel things? <laughs> yeah, how does that yeah. not make you cry, dude? You know what's funny too? So like, um, I, I kind of realized this later. I don't know if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life. Of course, uh, yeah. That's another film that I really like. What I realized is that the two endings are actually exactly the same, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, they are, they're exact, and they both, do the same thing to get you to be emotional. Mm. They connect this thing. Like, so with E.T., it's like E.T. gave them something, a gift. So they taught them something. And he has to leave, but but they'll always have the thing that he taught them, and that's what makes you emotional. Exactly. It was uh, the fucking friends we made along the way. Yeah, because <laughs> we all have that, that thing, like, where yeah. you got to give something up, but then you remember, like, well, wait, this thing made me different, and I'll always have that until I'm dead. So that means that thing is not gone. It's with me. Yeah, right. Um, and it, right. and and when you like when you mentally process that, it's a universal human emotion, mm -hmm. and it just mm -hmm. destroys you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually never cried when I saw this movie as a kid, but I saw it oh. probably like six or seven years ago, and I literally cried hard. Of course, yeah, like hard. Yeah, yeah. I I was like, oh my god. Yeah, it's the yeah. reason that people get attached to and cry at Pixar movies and things like that. It's the it, same. It, that's exactly what I was saying. It's, it's the exactly. same formula. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's that same kind of universal connectivity that they always have to have in their film. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a fucking toy or it's a fish or it's a emotion or whatever, mm -hmm. there's something that they're the story, the high level story premise is hitting you on that level that they're. Mm -hmm jacking mm -hmm. into you to make you yeah. feel and emotional. you can and you can have all the adventure and all the wonderment and like you said you know and all the all the hijinks and stuff like that and all the kind of like everybody's been a kid like trying you know solving a mystery or whatever uh, or trying to get away with stuff but like ultimately it is those high lever uh, high kind of uh, layer uh, stuff going on that uh, that affects people yeah and you know again this movie came out it became the highest grossing film of all time <laughs> Um, up until I think he basically breed his own record, I believe, with Jurassic Park. Probably, um, yeah. And then Titanic. So, yeah, I mean, this film was, like, huge. And then, you know, again, like, the kind of the the very coy uh, George Lucas style um, of making a film, but also making things that make good toys so you can sell the things yeah, to people. Yeah, that motherfucker. Another, another <laughs> so one of the most interesting, speaking of toys and other ancillary products, they created a video game for this. Have you heard the story of the video game? Oh, for ET, of course. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I'm big. Yeah, big, uh, big gamer over here. <laughs> Where they, they, the game was so bad that they literally, they literally buried some <laughs> of the copies of the of the game mm -hmm. to 
you know, I, I guess try to erase it from history. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, it uh, it is widely regarded as uh, one of the main reasons for the crash, the video game crash of like 1983 <laughs> or whatever. Because there were video games were everywhere, man. Like they were, there were arcades. There were the Atari was big and everything. This one fucking game, possibly due to the fact of how popular the movie was, just sunk video games. Like video games just disappeared. Right. Like uh, in terms of new ones being made and being sold and stuff like that. Nobody wanted to touch video games until 1985 when Nintendo came out and they brought Super Mario Brothers over here. Yeah, that's crazy. That it's insane. Crazy. That whole story it. is absolutely insane. There's, there's a lot of documentaries about it. But yeah, yeah. It, it is absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, this is, you know, again, this is why we have Stranger Things. This is why we have. This it. is exactly. This is why we have very many uh, yeah. things. Like Pixar, I mean, that whole kind of mode of operating yeah 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 there's so 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 many of this little kids <laughs> there's like four or five of them and they're on an adventure and then something happens and what then, was that then, one uh elijah wood movie where there's like a fucking flying lawnmower am i am i am i imagining this probably not but i don't know if i've seen it but elijah there's, wood there's like a there's like a at least a handful of elijah wood movies kid movies where there's like it's exactly this <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it became right it became a formula and yeah. it's, it's such it's a formula that's so good that it still works today oh it absolutely works yeah. crazy crazy yeah. um yeah. yeah so that's my number 92 film et the extra wow i'm looking forward to seeing the other 90 because if et is already here then by golly can't wait to see what's uh what's uh, what's above it yeah so what's uh what's your next film on your list your i guess 91 words my at? 91 yeah which is uh the last one for today right yep the last one for yeah. today <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah 91 uh no because it always confused me the stopping and yes. not at like a zero <laughs> we, yes we stop at it we started a zero we stop at a non-zero yeah 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 um, 91 is a movie called scarecrow by jerry schatzberg jerry schatzberg a great a theater director, uh, I believe, in the 60s, 70s, whatever, uh, was a, forged a great relationship with a young Al Pacino. And uh, I believe Schatzberg did his first feature film, The Panic in Needle Park. Let me just double check that. Yes, he did. So he directed uh, Al Pacino in his first like uh, movie, uh, just at all. Um, Panic in Needle Park, which is almost made my list but i kind of swapped it out for the rain people because they're very similar things panic and needle park is a new hollywood movie about people doing heroin which is fucking insane but this movie is called scarecrow the one that is my 91 scarecrow is uh the second movie they did together uh and it's uh they drafted gene hackman who the, the great fucking gene hackman uh to play basically the other guy so it goes, it goes like this. Uh, Max is Gene Hackman. He's an ex-con and he's a drifter. And you can already see this entire top 10 so far has been this basic premise. Uh, Max is a drifter and he's trying to make, he's trying to make it to like Chicago or something like that. Right. He's got like a, he's, he's got a something there. I don't know, a job or something. And along the way, he runs into this crazy, crazy guy named Lion, played by Al Pacino. And it's Al Pacino. Uh, he plays kind of, he plays it kind of like a kid uh, in this movie. 
where uh, he he's basically a, a the way we would describe him. He's just a giant fucking troll. He just likes to fuck with people, uh, and he's like very childish in that way. But he's also like a piece of shit drifter with like nothing going for him. So the two of them like they kind of need each other. Where like I don't remember what they strike some kind of a deal where like Lion knows how to get them to somewhere, and Gene Hackman like needs them for some reason. But Gene Hackman in this movie plays a tough motherfucker like mm-hmm. this is the type of gene hackman that will like you know uh, he's smoking a cigarette outside of a bar and you look at him wrong and he breaks your fucking jaw for no reason like that's the type <laughs> of character that he plays in this movie and i believe that actually happens in this movie there's a bar fight in this movie. Uh, so it's worth seeing for at least those performances uh, but it's a road movie. It's about these two characters who've never met each other, and they learn they they learn to learn things about each other and like each other. They're polar opposites. Gene Hackman again, super tough guy. Takes uh, you know he's a whoring man. You know they find all kinds of prostitutes and hookers and things like that. Uh, but then we we find we dig underneath the uh, the character of Al Pacino. And we find out that uh, he's a Vietnam War veteran, and he's actually dealing with some shit. And that's kind of the dramatic turn that this movie takes. Uh, and he's uh, divorced and uh, his wife may or may not uh, have had his child. You know, he doesn't know he got shipped off to Vietnam and then, then they never spoke again. And so there's this great uh, kind of arc towards the end of the movie where Gene Hackman puts his plans aside and he helps Lion go to meet up with his uh, estranged wife to see like what's going on. And there's this great scene, really emotional. It still gets me emotional where Al Pacino's on a phone, on a pay booth, on a pay phone, sorry, uh, across the street from his wife's house and he looks at her through the window he can't he doesn't want to go see her but he calls her and then through the window while they're having the conversation he sees that she's remarried there's another guy in the house and they have a couple other kids and he makes the decision over this this phone call which is an emotional phone call and seeing the fact that she's built another life to basically he's at the doorstep they've gone through this entire journey together but he doesn't go through with it and then he tries to kill himself and commit suicide in public uh and gene hackman has to talk him down it is this movie takes such a 180 from like this crazy like it's just these two guys and they're going on a road trip together to like this really really emotional like vietnam war ptsd shit um and it's a really, really, really cool movie. Uh, and again, it's worth seeing, if nothing else, for the performances of Gene Hackman as like this absolute no nonsense fucking piece of shit guy, mm-hmm. and Al Pacino as this like kooky, wacky guy who actually really is just going through some really horrible shit. And it is like peak Al Pacino, where he just, you just look at him, you just look at his face, and you just know what's going on, basically. I don't know. There's a style of acting, but. Uh, he says a lot with his face. Like you think of that scene from The Godfather where Michael is uh, in in the uh, when he's about to shoot the police chief or whatever, right? And it's yeah. just like it's, it's just, just his oh, face. Okay. Yeah, like Al Pacino is just like, especially back then, he's just like that was kind of, that was his thing. He's a fucking master. Yeah, yeah, an absolute master of that yeah. of just his emotional. Uh, so yeah, uh, Scarecrow number ninety one um, probably would have been higher on the list, but there's a couple other seventies movies. And for the record, Al Pacino is my favorite actor of all time, so uh, had to be on here. Uh, the, the 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 combination of these two, Hackman and Al Pacino, very fun to watch. Uh, and I'm glad this movie got made. Yeah. And it's it's again, it's a new Hollywood picture through and through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was done, I think, for Warner Brothers. Like it was, it's it had a pretty big budget. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. That was a fun time, right? Like just, just all kinds of stuff was getting made, right? They would just make these things, like the uh, Warner <laughs> Brothers put out the Rain People, which is like yeah. the most anti fucking studio movie you could make at the time. Yeah. So yeah, it, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's anathema now. 
Right. Imagine like for, imagine a movie like this, even with two big stars, you would it would have three minutes of logos at the start of this movie. Just you know, of <laughs> yes. like, you know what I mean, right? Like Skydance. Sky yeah, Fucking, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Companies Neon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Apex yeah. films. Exactly. It's something you'd you'd catch on Hulu at three in the morning. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So my number ninety-one. So I this was one where I, I really contemplated if it was gonna still be on my list. <clears throat> Um, just thinking about the context of where we're at in the world today in 2020. I actually watched this today <laughs> to see Wait, if so I want it. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I think I know which one it is. Yeah, yeah I watched I watched the film today. Yeah, yeah. A lot earlier. Yeah. Started at like seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um and I watched it and I was like, this movie's fucking good. It's still really fucking good, and it's still amazing. Um, and so, yeah, there was a funny story about this film. So like they, they recently released it on HBO max and people got pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, they, they re-uploaded it with like some historian context. talking before it. <laughs> yeah. With some context. Yeah. Cause I think this film does need some context. Like if it you does, show this I to think. like, like a 12 year old, they, they, they'd be like, what? Um, yeah. so yeah, so this film is gone with the wind. Um, this, this film is just, it, it is unbelievable. This is the absolute <laughs> highest level of classic Hollywood filmmaking. Exactly. This, just like we talked about with Metropolis, mm-hmm. where that was like the most money you could throw at it. This is a similar thing, um, but this is like the biggest Hollywood thing of its time. Yeah. Like of the, the peak Hollywood, classic Hollywood system, this is the biggest film that they can make is Gone with the Wind. Because mm-hmm. um, this film is it's pretty much two films in one. Like the first film, like there's a there's an overarching romance that goes throughout, like the Red Butler, Scarlett O'Hara romance. Like there are they, will they or won't they is the constant through line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the first half of the film is about the Civil War and the effects that it has on the South. And, I th- and then the second film is more of a, Scarlet sort of trying to not be in the same situation she was in when at the end of the first half of the film, which is like unbelievable. The whole, the whole thing that she goes, the odyssey she goes through to survive. Yeah. 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 It's unbelievable. It's, it is absolutely unbelievable actually. Like those scenes, like first off, so there's like, there's so many shots that are super iconic in this film, Mm -hmm. like just absolutely iconic that I don't know if I've ever seen them. Even people even try it. To do something similar like the the shot like the shot of the film where it's like it's her standing near a tree and it's a silhouette and then the the, the camera pans or uh, tracks way back and then you see their plantation yeah um, yeah right, right and just right, like right. rises up and you see it it's like that shot is unbelievable and they do it like three different times in the film at different points in her life so like at first when she's a kid and she's just like oh i don't care about war blah blah, blah. and she's mm-hmm, like happy mm-hmm. and she's with her dad um so that that happens once then it happens again after the war is over and or, yeah and she gets back home and and basically everything is decimated yeah everything's decimated yeah. her mom is dead her dad has has lost his mind his dad her dad literally loses his mind and keeps talking about her mom as if she's alive yeah even though she's dead and he like saw her die from typhoid or something mm-hmm. um and so then we see it again and then we see it I think another time, maybe towards the end of the film, and it's sort of similar it's to the so, beginning. It's so smart, so smart to do again these cinematic things. I think if nothing else, our lists are just going to show how much like movies that are like really trying to be movies, you know, like yes. how important that stuff is. Yeah, just like what a smart way to like keep the audience, you know, because it's a long ass fucking movie. But like it, to 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 bring back the same exact camera movement, you know, it just kind of 
to to reinforce like the chapter break or or not even the chapter break. I guess in this case, it's like kind of like we were here, now we're here, now we're yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. It, it they and again, this is like the way that the classic Hollywood film, um, I guess, language of stuff worked. They they yeah. did all this stuff to and the, you know, there's a lot of foreshadowing and like you know, like Rhett and Scarlet would say stuff to each other in dialogue that comes up later. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a there's a level of like craftsmanship of this time that just doesn't exist anymore. To be honest, like the way that I, they I don't correct the way that they because these scripts were basically written by people that was their full time job and they did it like twenty four seven. It's <laughs> like I and some people their whole job was okay at the end of um, basically the end of the the first half of the film. I we need a line that really sticks. Yeah. with the audience right you, you come up with that line and you mm -hmm. pitch me 20 different lines every day mm -hmm. and then we're gonna come up with one mm -hmm. and like they really hit that like at the end of the, the first half of the film she um she gets back home her home's destroyed her dad's gone crazy her mom is dead uh her sister was pregnant and she almost died and they brought him with the kid back and they barely made it and she's starving she's literally starving and she goes out into the field and she like eats a like i don't know a potato or something some kind of thing from the field and it just she, she then like pukes. We don't see it, but we know she's distressed. Mm -hmm. And she just has this line that just makes you go, wow, yes, yes, I am invested. I am yeah. invested in this film and this character. Because yeah. she turns, she has a turning point where she changes. Before she was this dumbass kid. And now she's lived life. And she's like been like the scenes where you see all the, the Confederate soldiers and the pan and the cranes up and you see tons of people and they're real actors it's not yep. fake stuff or like a matte yeah. painting it's no real it, actors cool. the and there's scale tons, of, the scale of, of it yeah. yeah they really went there and again this is the absolute apex peak of the classic hollywood if you had unlimited resources yeah, yeah. this is what you get gone yeah. with the wind is what you get a four hour super epic film that could be you know i mean th this is the highest grossing basically the highest grossing film of all time yeah just for inflation you know it just had so much of whatever you could basically just spend a day watch this, get all the entertainment you'd ever need. I think so. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a level, like you said, there's like a level of craftsmanship, and there's a level of like committing to the format, like committing to the the cinematic kind of style, where like like kind of how you said, like we were talking about, like Metropolis, kind of just like if if life was like if 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 being proficient at the medium that you're working in was like a video game you've unlocked all of your abilities uh by the time you know you make metropolis and certainly the hollywood studio system has unlocked all of its abilities by the time you get to make a gone with the wind you know and everything else is just iterating and stuff but uh there's i really really appreciate a, a good old epic and i mean that like in in the biggest sense of the word you know not like ah oh, tenet's got epic fucking scenes in it no like a, a movie that takes you on an entire journey and that took many years to make and craft and edit and go over and over again and reshoot and whatever the fuck they had to do right so yeah it's 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 kind of like a different playing it's like they're playing at a different level almost yeah, it's on a total different level. Um, I mean, the fact again, this it's basically two movies, right? It is, yeah. Uh, movie number one is the war movie. Well, it's it's sort of like the the war is going on, and movie number two is a sort of more emotional uh, journey. 
um, mm-hmm. resolving that emotional arc, which yeah. goes throughout the and, film. And again, this is still a time when uh, uh, this was like a night out for, for people. This is like going to the opera or going to the theater or whatever. And those those plays, sometimes they go on for four hours. This is that. You would go, you would dress nice. You would sit in a nice theater, big-ass theaters. You had a program. You had an intermission. You had other people talking about the movie. Like, it's a whole experience. Like, we, we kind of, we lost a lot of that. But, like, we kind of forget about these things because you could just hit play on Amazon and you're like, oh. It is a four-hour yeah. movie. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not supposed to be just a four-hour movie. It's supposed to be an entire yes. night out, you know, with your family, your mm. friends, whatever, and you talk about it. It's not just like, a, oh, you know, this is kind of boring, and it drags here and there. It's like, that's not the point. Yeah. The opera analogy is really, really apt because yeah. that is that is just something that's not in our culture anymore of something no. like this. This is an artifact. Yeah. This is I an absolute know. artifact of a time that is gone, just like <laughs> – what the movie's yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> it's about. It's about yeah. the South and that's gone. Um, right, yeah, yeah, this is an absolute artifact. You know, interesting, I'll just bring this up real quick. So um, the film, it's going to come up on my list later on, uh, 1927's Napoleon by Abel Gantz. Mm. So I got a chance to see a restored version of that in Oakland, played at the Fox Theater, which is a sort of old school, made in the 20s theater. Um, oh, yeah. Is that in, uh, in Oakland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been it, to the Fox Center. Yeah. Yeah. So they played that film and they played the full restored version, all of it. It's like, I don't know, five hours or something. Um, and it was a full day affair. Right. Full day. Yeah. Like yeah. they played they played part one, intermission, they played part two, there was a dinner break, and then they played yeah, where you wow. left for like two hours and then you came That's back. so cool. Wow. And then you came back. So you went home at dinner. Then you came back. Then you watched the next two parts. And again, in that film, there's a uh, very famous scene where it's like basically they shot it with three cameras. I know this film. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. I know this film. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's unbelievable. About. It was like one of the greatest in theater. Like, because like that whole thing is building up to that point, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Where the they literally pull back the curtains even further. And what's yeah. crazy too is they play. I forget the name of the song. It's a very, it's a very famous song in terms of like it's it's a um, Beethoven song. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, it played at the beginning of the fall. That movie, The Fall. Um, yeah, I, that that, yeah. that that song plays at that moment when like Napoleon's about to invade or whatever, and it's like three. I heard about this this yeah. tour, this restoration that they did. I remember this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, the guess what I'm saying is like there there is something about that experience and this film is a part of that experience and like you know it, it's something it's really is something when you experience a film like that it's it's totally different it yeah it's totally different yeah. than just like yeah pressing play on amazon prime or whatever um, this is something that and this is something that humans have been doing for thousands of years like you think of the the great greek plays and and whatever like those were whole day affairs too right like humans have figured out a long time ago kind of uh no i don't want to say like all of you know the the artistic format or whatever but like they figured out a way to because like the the fact that you're taking a two-hour break and you're having dinner and whatever like your physical experience as a human being being there that day and experiencing it that day is kind of part of the the watching of the movie like it's it's all kind of one experience and they figured that out a long time ago with those greek plays and stuff like that and they did some of that with with some of these great epic movies and we have absolutely zero room for that in our society these days like that is just not a thing that people are doing at least not here there's some you know operas are still big in in europe and, and stuff like that but 
uh, more from like a historical context, like the people who really truly appreciate the format and the style of the whole exhibition part of it. Like, I feel like a lot of those are have passed on or moved on and we're just kind of used to hitting play on our phone. And we lost a lot of that experience because that was, these things were made with that experience in mind, not just uh, as a movie. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's some, I don't know. It's, 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 it, on one level it sucks, but technology is undefeated. And so, you know, right. Yeah. 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 We're, we're yeah. not going to be able to fight the, it's like fighting the, the, the waves as they come in from the sure. ocean. Yeah. And I'm not saying um, we should do that. Oh, of either, course. But yeah. It is just, yeah, it is just something to note. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that, that there's a level of like, like I wouldn't recommend gone with the wind to anyone to just like watch whenever I would say you should watch this movie, but you should make time for it because it's not something like, cause you can watch a lot of movies that are an hour and 45 minutes while you're doing something else or while you're on your phone or inevitably you're going to do that. But or like, people watch them at the gym or something. Yeah. 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 Like and running on the treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. And you could do that with gone with the wind, obviously, but, <laughs> but there's not really any point. You might as well not watch it at that point. Yeah. You're not going to get, you're not going to yeah. get the full. And again, like it's so different because like the way they wrote, even just like the dialogue, it's totally different. I mean, Brett Butler is such a, mm-hmm. um, like, like the, like the dialogue they write for these characters is so witty. You gotta yeah, pay yeah. attention. You got it because, like, he there's always a double entendre with this guy. Yeah, right. Because again, like you said, there these guys day in day out. They're writing scripts and they are chiseling and perfecting every single line of dialogue so that you get to a point where everything has meaning. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like it's so smart, like how they create these interactions with the characters. So, like for instance. When Rhett and um, Scarlet like first really meet, uh, there's a scene where there there's this party or whatever, and she's like super thirsty for this guy, <laughs> and so she um, yeah, it's just so brilliant. So she goes down to meet to try and sneak and meet with him, and all the guys are talking about the war. Yeah, oh, and so I remember the scene. Yeah, this scene is so brilliant because like on so many levels. So like what they achieve so many things at once. So we get so we're like we're like her we're sneaking in on this conversation it's about the war and then we get this perspective everyone thinks the war is going to go well except for Rhett. and so then he's sort of they're like oh you're an idiot you're you suck blah 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 he walks away and then scarlet meets with the guy she's really wanting to you know marry or whatever and then they kind of go off and they have a conversation he says no i'm i i, I can't marry you i'm sorry uh-huh. uh she's she's heartbroken and then he overheard the conversation, Rhett Butler overheard the conversation. And then, so now he knows a lot about her and he wants to be with her, but she doesn't want to be with him just because of that. And then the whole story arc goes from this one chance meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just so brilliant the way that they, like the storytelling, they crafted things so precisely in these films. Like when they really put all the resources into it. It just reminded me of like Casablanca where it's like, they they understand the crafts at such a high level that they're always doing the most efficient story thing. Yeah, and and, yeah. and it has, but it has it has to do with um, you know, like you said, they were the 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 peak operating Hollywood studio system. Like they had the time and they knew what they were making. It's not like a happenstance thing that this movie came together. Like they had time to really work these things out. Uh, which you can't say happens for any movie that gets released these days. I don't. I don't care who you. I don't care how many Avengers movies you've made. You're not going to get the same amount of uh, 
like leeway as as a gone with the wind <laughs> like to get yeah. it right yeah i mean i mean the 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 whole the whole marvel slate got nuked by covid got blown up completely blown up i mean yeah. i think it was chloe Zhao got covid i know it was oh, someone jesus <laughs> someone who was directing a marvel film recently oh wow the director got covid <laughs> so yeah that's gonna yeah. that's gonna totally blow up your schedule yeah um <laughs> It's nuts, <laughs> but yeah. So that's my number nine. Anyone gone with the wind? It is a great film. Period. End of story. Yeah, yeah. Um, lot, I, a lot to say about that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. So I think that's it, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've covered our our, our first ten. So yeah. we're gonna we're gonna release this in parts, mm-hmm. and then we'll release the next couple parts going forward. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, really exciting so far. Yeah. Lot of so, lot of lot of stuff. Lot of stuff to go over. I, I like the. Um, the side kind of conversations that spawn out of each of these movies. I think they're really like enriching uh, not only the movies that we're talking about uh, per like tier by tier, but like also just in general. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's talking about actors talking about film in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. So any, any last things to talk about before we say goodbye to everybody? Um, no, I just think that, I mean, if anything, if anyone is actually taking the top 100 series, just know that you can't, you know, uh, you're doing it now uh, off a feeling that like, you know, you have today, this month, this year, whatever, uh, and things are going to change. But, uh, so not every pick, you know, you can't say this defines me, but I believe as of, as of right now, you can say that. Um, but you know, talk to me in 10 years, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is like, I feel pretty strong about this right now, but yeah. you know, I'm going to watch more films, more films are going to rise up. More exactly. going to be like, I hate this now. And that's life, you know. That's why I yeah. want to do this list because it just tells us about yeah. Where it's a good exercise. It's a, it's a fun exercise. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. super fun. It just tells you what what really you know what films really matter for you. What yeah, really I honestly you. honestly going through it just now, I did not expect that like eight of the ten of those movies were like uh, character meets another character type movies. You know, like yeah, the, the buddy or, stuff. Or, or buddy stuff, road movies, things like that. Like I didn't expect all of those to be like exactly the same type of premise yeah <laughs> but they were so i guess that really shows kind of like yeah it like uncovers kind of like what really is your thing have you ever seen the movie uh with nail and i ever seen that movie i don't think so yeah you might like that movie it's it's basically like two friends um, who are like total screw-ups but they they get into some disaster situation <laughs> it's hilarious yeah this looks this looks like it's right up my alley yeah i think you'd like that yeah cool cool cool, cool. yeah and I'm sure we'll do we'll do more of yeah. these recommendations uh, going yeah, forward. For sure. But yeah, I think I think that's it for me. All right, cool. Yeah, so thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Uh, next week we're going to do the next ten. The next ten, and um, you know, probably in between, at some point when it's December, we'll we'll talk about Mank. Uh, oh, and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> looking forward to watching oh, that. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So thanks a lot, everybody. Um, take care, and we'll talk to you guys again next next week. See you.